going to bring in Greg right now. Hey, Greg, how are you doing? Hey, that was a great segue, uh, Jason. I'm doing well, and thanks for the honor of, uh, of being here. And hey, don't sell yourself uh, short for uh, the type of flying you do. That's the, the real hands and feet uh, type stuff, so good on you. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're taught very early not to fly by the seat of our pants, especially when we get into instrument rating, because um, that's important. Uh, you get yourself mm -hmm. in a lot of trouble if you don't know what you're doing with uh, those hands and feet up there. But thank right, you so much yeah, for well, No, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here and looking forward to chatting with you. Excellent, excellent. Well, first, let's start off with like who you are. So I know that you worked for a major uh, Canadian airline and then you got into this. But let's start it off kind of, you don't have to name anybody. But let's go ahead and get started with um, uh, your career and then kind of what got into this freedom to fly. So we kind of have like a two two year window that I'm looking to get you to talk about just before, and then tell us what happened. You don't want me to go back to the '60s and my birth. Got it. I'll uh, keep it to well, the last uh, the last few years. If, if you were there when it was built, you can let me know about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I just stepping back a little bit before the last couple of years, I started uh, in the military. Um, I always mention my father was a military man as well because I think it's relevant to my own understanding of the importance of our liberty. My, my father had a, a huge impact on helping me understand the importance of that. And also from a character standpoint, the importance of speaking truth, even when it's difficult. Um, I got some funny stories from that as a kid, sort of being mortified by him confronting people in social uh, circles, kindly and professionally. But when you're a teenager looking to uh, to just kind of disappear into the background, you don't necessarily want that. But that, that was important. So I, I started in the military um, in the mid 80s. Uh, and I spent 20 years in the regular force uh, flying C-130s. Around the world, got to see the world. A lot of it was was not at its best, whether that was Rwanda, uh, Kosovo, Afghanistan, or otherwise. And then I got to uh, the airlines in 2006. So was all so of that can... peacekeeping type of missions, or was that any wartime? Well, um, without getting too far into the philosophy of some of these things, particularly Afghanistan, um, I, I guess you could call it uh, peacemaking. Um, we don't have the time to try and dissect uh, the efficacy or eth ethical nature of, of some of that, maybe. Um, but it, as a as a transport type guy, you're you're the beans and bullets guy, right? You're you're bringing mm -hmm. the troops and supplies and that back and forth. So so Afghanistan, that was a key part of it. Um, we we brought the troops back and forth. Uh, we brought the supplies back and forth. But I also had a Probably the most profound moment of my military career was bringing uh, Nicola Goddard's body back. She was the artillery officer oh. that was killed uh, in 2006. So um, it, that was a real, um, it, it really brought home the nature of sacrifice and, and what people are, are willing to do. Uh, and I've spoken about that somewhat. Uh, actually spoke at, a, at an event last year about about that particular event just because of the um the bizarre divide because we we landed there at dawn and i was standing at the back of the the ramp i know we're going off on a tangent here but <clears throat> no, probably do. have the time um mm -hmm. and i watched her troops that only hours before had been in the midst midst of a, a horrific firefight uh, in which she was killed 
and uh, and they carried her body into the back of the aircraft and then they fell apart emotionally. And, it, and it's not like they had an opportunity to, to go on R&R for a couple of weeks to figure it all out and, and get some help. They, they went back outside the wire not too long afterwards. Well, wow. then, you know, we get airborne and, and go back home and we had one of her troops up front with us because he was going to accompany her body all the way home. Um, and he was probably shell-shocked, um, it's what we used to call it. Didn't have too much mm-hmm. to say. I, I spoke to him briefly. But then I land in camp, uh, you know, a few hours later, and um, it, it had a big impact on me. Just it, it, it reinforced, for one thing, the fragility of life, but also the sacrifices that people are willing to make. Uh, right. Things like signing the weight and balance, you know, and her body was in the was in the freight department rather than the passenger. Like, I'll never forget that. Oh, that yes. really, really struck me. So we get back to camp and I go off to the dining hall where a bunch of my colleagues are, are complaining that the the Haagen-Dazs ice cream selection is a little light that day, right? And, you, and so you transpose that to where we're at now in 2021, 2023. And I think a lot of that is behind the struggles that we're seeing now is, is that there's an element of society that understands profoundly the sacrifices that are required, because I, I genuinely believe that we will not get out of this mess, I'll call it to oversimplify in four letters, this mess that mm-hmm. we're in, unless uh, a tipping point of Canadians, and that doesn't mean a majority, it means a highly effective small number, understand that we don't defeat what we're seeing, we're seeing call it totalitarianism uh, light or, or whatever you want to call it, unless we're willing to make sacrifices up to and including the loss of our reputation, the loss of our comforts, the loss of our convenience, our careers, and otherwise, because the lessons of history tell us that fairly, fairly clearly. Whether you're reading mm-hmm. Solzhenitsyn or, or delving into uh, other other nations uh, that have gone sideways over the past just just the past couple hundred years, so um, that's a very indirect answer to your question. That was one example of of something that uh, that I was involved in over uh, over the course of my my military career. Um, yeah, and so then I, I got to the, uh, uh, that was actually my last uh, flying deployment uh, was in 2006. Okay. And then I got to the airlines uh, at that point. So a very, uh, a very different uh, operation for sure. Um, I was flying the aircraft in the military tactically. So that typically meant uh, stuff you were talking about, right? Where you're, you're planning a route when we were old school. Uh, we mm-hmm. had computers, but when we taught the guys how to do it, you had a string with minute markers on it. You strung out the route. Uh, you're down at 200 feet. Uh, you've, you've simulated threats, whether they're surface-to-air missiles or otherwise. You're trying to avoid those. Flying low-level, threat reacting, and then you usually drop something at the end, uh, either to troops or uh, or a vehicle or whatever. Uh, but, but the flying was only maybe an hour and a half. But five hours of planning would go into that, and then you'd come back and dissect it minute by minute for the next hour. So you go to an airline where a dispatcher's uh, prepping your flight, and as the captain of the aircraft, uh, obviously you're 100% invested in the weather and the the rides along the way to try Mm -hmm. and keep it smooth and the fuel and the alternates and all that other stuff. But you're not showing up five hours before to do the work. Um, And we try to keep it as smooth and as uneventful as possible, which is very different than the military. Um, and when you're done, you uh, pick up your bag and you go home. Um, so right. yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of a different operation, for sure. But that's uh, I was there from 2006 uh, until uh, things went sideways in 2020, and then we can talk about uh, what happened at that point, I guess. Sure, sure. So you mentioned that you were doing transport and tactic, but you didn't do any combat flying, right? You weren't dropping things from the sky, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, well, that, that's what we were doing uh, with the C-130. So <clears throat> this would be a, a very long tangent because I was pretty passionate about maintaining that uh, capability. Um, this is something I've never never discussed in an interview, so it's, it's kind of cool. But um, a similar fight that was quasi-ethics-based, I guess, uh, because the military at the time was incredibly short. Uh, and I was at the only squadron at the time that was deployed tactically in Afghanistan, and, and the squadron was on fire, uh, metaphorically speaking, pretty much on a mm -hmm. daily basis. Uh, guys' families were falling apart, they were stressed out, uh, and I was in a leadership position uh, on the squadron. And so headquarters would come back to us and, and say, okay, you guys need to figure out how to deploy five airplanes. And we'd say, well, the squadron's like falling to pieces, we can only do, I can't remember what it was, three or four. And they say, yeah, yeah, uh, tell us how to do five. And you're saying, right. well, well it, you can't, it, like it physically doesn't work. The only way to w make it work is to cut training and cut safety. And ultimately, that was, was one of the choices. And as one of my final um, events, I'll call it when I left, I, have, I've, I wrote a fairly pointed analysis of some, some bad things that had happened in the American military after they cut um, their proficiency in currency flying and uh, decided to just get the job done uh, without wow. doing it properly and doing it uh, doing it in a way where you've actually got people that are 100% professional um, and proficient. So, so anyway, I, so that part of what they wanted to cut was this this ability to to uh, airdrop is what we called it. And so it was actually during my it was my last deployment. It was that same one in 2006. I had a general up front with us at the time, uh, General Fraser. And he was sitting in the bunk coming back from Afghanistan and we got talking. Um, and as part of it, just talking about the terrible losses that were being suffered by our guys on the ground. And I said, well, you understand we can, because part of, part, frequently, uh, or at least some of the time when the, when this would happen, it would be during a resupply mission. And they'd hit an okay. IED, an improvised explosive device. And I said, well, we have the capacity. We've, we've trained for it for years and years to, to airdrop. And in a stunning, um, just a stunning uh, failure of the services to talk to each other, really, which is a whole separate uh, topic, he, he was unaware of this uh, as one of the army generals on the ground. So shortly thereafter, a message came back that they wanted to look into this uh, this capability. So I, I took a little backpack and went back to Afghanistan and did a recce with, with the Americans in, in Bagram and Kandahar and some other places just to explore this, this capability. And uh, it was probably one of the proudest moments of my military career. It was shortly after I left, um, but they did a bunch of analysis, and, and we did our first combat airdrop since the Korean War uh, in 2006. In typical Canadian fashion, it was understated and didn't make a lot of news, but it was a big deal for us within the transport uh, environment because it was direct something you could directly point to to say, hey, maybe we've saved some lives in the process of, uh, of, mm -hmm. of using this capability, which the Air Force and, and my community and the military wanted to get rid of just for the sake of saving some time and money because eh, we don't really we don't really use this uh, too much. Um, so you can draw all sorts of parallels to, to where we're at now with things that we kind of shrug off like, eh, it's really not a big deal. And we've, as we've discovered over the last two or three years, it is actually a really big deal uh, when you feel a point of principle um, that you're convicted about to speak to it and, and to fight for it. I was just about to say that. So your principles were in you all along and you even brought it up against the military 
and he even stood up or kind of uh, tried to shepherd or guide even the American military on, on some of this as well. So that takes well, a Well, no, I mean, the, the, the American part was, was I, I went and did, I flew with them just to see kind of how they, they did it and, and uh, the complete aside. But uh, our, our Canadian ability to fly tactically was far surpassed the Americans. So just a, a little uh, plug for me. I, I, I've flown with them at times and, they're, you know, they're good at what they did. But we... But we mm-hmm. uh, we really insisted on the old school way of doing uh, doing it, and it uh, I, I think it benefited us well. But but to that point, I, I would say, and I'm sure you're the same, Jason, and and uh, and most of your listeners and watchers are probably the same. Is is I'm a very very different man than I was in 2020. Um, yes, and I think that's one of the silver linings of of this crazy season that we're we're living in. Is, uh, is is that has it's benefited a lot of us in really doing a gut check and, and understanding how lacking we were in so many things. Um, you know, I'm I'm in my mid fifties and I, I realized that I was playing at life. I was playing at my faith. Uh, I was playing at a lot of things, and and now I feel like man, there's not enough years left in this lifetime to learn the things uh, that I need to learn. That's a nice way to look at it. So you're going to keep yourself busy for the rest of your lifetime learning all the things you need to learn because now your eyes are wide open to uh, the potentials out there. Well, learning, I, I think certainly learning is a piece of it, and, and this is something we can maybe talk about a bit more. But I, I think we there's there's times in all these group chats that we're in and in the endless, endless news feeds that we're on where we've really got to take, we've got to take a moment to say, I've probably learned enough to go out and do something that matters, right? Because there's there's a propensity to to just keep consuming and consuming and consuming information. It's it's kind of like laying on the couch and eating Cheetos all day. At some point, you need to you need to convert those Cheetos into uh, to some actual movement down the road, maybe uh, or or mowing the lawn or doing something that actually matters. And I think we've we uh, amongst the like-minded community. I, I really think, um, and this this is something I've I've really wrestled with and thought a lot about lately. Uh, am I am I more than a keyboard warrior? Uh, am I actually doing things in my community that matter? And that can be mm-hmm. as as simple. It's it may sound simple, but it's profoundly important to be the best father I can be, to be the best husband I can be, to be the best neighbor I can be, yeah. because those things actually matter. Yeah, because they're all related too. If you're not a good neighbor, you don't have your security at home. How you provide for your family, how you be a good father, husband—it's all related, hundred mm-hmm. percent. And to just let you know, I am one of those believers that it's never too late to learn. So my first half of my career, up to like uh, mid thirties, was technology. I did all those ones mm-hmm. and zeros and stuff like that. Then yeah. I went to law school, got my paralegal license, and started practicing that for a bit. And then because of that, I went and got a my pilot's license because I was flying to Toronto a lot to practice. So all of that happened in my late 30s and 40s. So to anybody out there, if you want a law degree, you want to become a pilot, you can still do it. (laughs) You can still do it. Um, I don't know if you get your ATPL that easily or your airline traffic uh, pilot's license. Um, Transport, right? Airline transport? Transport, yeah. Yeah. Um, Because I know somebody who's in the 60s. He's still trying to get that just to check that off his bucket list um, as a very difficult rating to get. But uh, yeah, but CPL, you get that, the PPL, and even your recreational one. Um, There's a few options out there to anybody that wants to start to fly. Now, let's get to the convoy time because the convoy would have happened before your, your. your stuff happened, right? So you would have watched the convoy, you would have watched that happen before? Um, Or did that come? No. Did did you come before that? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll step back a little bit just to lay the foundation uh, with, with Free to Fly. So 20, we, we all have this moment, right? We try to figure out whether it was 2020 or 21 because it'd be- I know, yeah, it's so fuzzy now. Ugly blur, right? Um, 20, back in 2020, I was, uh, I guess the, I, I speak of this as my COVID epiphany. I was chairing a private school board at the time um, and I watched uh, the world shut down uh, I went through the same thing everybody else did where it's like, ah, oh, you know, maybe we should be a little cautious because we don't know what this is. And then it was like, wow, we're going to shut the school and keep all the kids home. And and as the chair of the board, I was like, well, there, there's an onus on me and accountability here to to really dig into this. And I'm a bit of a data geek anyway. So I, I just took straight up government stats. That was it. I wasn't in the corner of the internet. I wasn't watching BitChute videos. I was just taking straight up government data. I plugged them in the spreadsheet. And a half an hour later, I was like, what on earth are we doing? Uh, so that was my that was my epiphany, and of course, uh, I won't go on with with two years subsequent uh, as far as solidifying my great concerns about the the jabs themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was where I really, I guess, woke up to because coming out of the military, there's there's at least a certain um, it, it's not a blind trust in the government, but there's a certain there's a certain belief that, well, I'm, I'm doing this for a reason. And, you know, you question some of the decisions, but you, you your foundation isn't completely rocked. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. was my my awakening anyway, not to go on about it. Then fast forward, as we went down, we started this, you know, little whispers about a vaccine started to come out. And, and I'll be honest for a minute, I was kind of like, oh, man, if we can get rid of this with with something magical, then great. Uh, and then I started looking at how we were doing it. And, and same as, as all of your, your listeners, I don't need to go on and on about it. The rapidity with which it happened in, in co- the context of polio and all sorts of other things was a great concern. And then I started thinking, man, like the government, like every single egg is in one basket, right? Like, what if this doesn't work? Well, we all know the answer now is we just pretend that everything works fine. Right. So then uh, I, I thought, well, I'm an airline pilot and my job is to travel around the world. This is probably going to put me slash my buddies and everybody else on the pointy end of this. And so I had another quasi awakening moment that I'll, I'll say I think was was the Lord. I'm a Christian guy and I was out in the park kind of running around working out and stuff. And I just started thinking through it and I thought, like, we got to get ahead of this. So gathered up. Uh, three other pilots. We sent a letter off to the JCCF, the Justice Center for Constitutional yep. Freedom. Good, good people, and, eh? uh Yeah, and like like many of us, I had this naive understanding of our charter, right? So mm-hmm. I describe it as back then. It was like, well, the charter is going to save us. So then we we got on a call with Lisa Bildy, a uh, wonderful, wonderful lawyer, a real woman of, of solid ethics and, and some really solid work. She got on a call with, by that time, there was a number more. Uh, it was just pilots at the time. And she gave us a little bit of a wake-up call <clears throat> as to what the charter is and isn't. So then it was kind of like, hmm, well, um, maybe it'll help, <laughs> right? And then uh, from that point, it just kind of morphed. We, we started what is now free to fly, freetofly.ca for anyone that wants to check us out. And uh, it, it, yeah, it, it burgeoned from there because uh, this was in April of 21. Then, of course, I remember I landed in, it was August. I don't remember the date. I want to say 14th. I landed in August and my phone blew up. And that was the date that the transport came out with everyone shall be vaxxed uh, within the industry. 
So it morphed into 3,000 aviation professionals, but, but very, very importantly, we wanted to, to situate our organization as uh, a group that advocated not just for professionals, but for, for the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, however many there were um, of Canadians who uh, had terrible stories of being barred uh, their, their freedom to travel. So we ended up with 37, 38,000 passengers uh, as well. And that that's really the, the brief uh, story of the genesis of Free to Fly. So so then we went into the fall. Um, I, I don't know how much detail you want to go into with... with uh, as much as you want. Well, we went into the fall uh, with uh, with losing our jobs, essentially, to make a long, long story short. So to answer your original question, which was about the convoy, I was at, at the time working at a little manufacturing plant, uh, 20 bucks an hour, making uh, video arcade parts. That was my, Flying doesn't translate well into other employment, and I'm not a handy guy. I'm not a plumber on the side or anything else. Um, good point. I've got some marginal, edit, you know, organizational skills, but aside from that... Uh, not a lot that's going to get me a, a great big income. Um, have you so thought about you, ATC, like working at ATC? You'd have to oh, be in Cornwall for that, but that's uh, it's a whole nother. That's very. That's well. That's we could talk about the ATC issues in Canada right now because that's a whole nother story. <laughs> like their failure rate is astronomical. It's out of line with with global ATC, um, and we're having huge issues. We put something on our Twitter um, just last week with uh, some of our guys checked in and said, "Hey, we're." We're being rerouted between, like when we fly from Toronto to, let's say, Montreal. It's a canned route. It's the same. It's the same waypoint. Yeah, it's every a time. corridor it's there. Canadian. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're routing through uh, upstate New York um, and across the northern states because they don't have the manpower to to manage it. Like this is just a shocking uh, cost in both so time, fuel. You're so going through Boston, then you're using the Boston air air, air space. Well, they're just they're cutting south. Uh, they're cutting south across the border, and then going through uh, the northern states, and then up into uh, let's say Montreal from there. And then this is being requested by ATC due to staffing issues. So, anyway, right. another uh, another tangent here. But uh, anyway, I'll get into that one to... later because I'll follow up on that one later for sure. Thank you, Greg. Yeah. Well, back to to where. Um, I was so so I was working in this little plant because I remember it was this little plant was located right on the 401 and I ran out the back door in uh, in my shoes and stood in the snowdrift and uh, waved at the go at the guys going by to Ottawa and then I was up there on uh, on the weekends so so that's the the timeline but I mean the part that had us out of work um, is is fascinating and frustrating to use uh, a couple f words I guess uh, mm-hmm. in, in how that all transpired no no different at the macro level from let's say nurses or truckers or otherwise that were lauded as great heroes who were bringing supplies to canadians and it's completely safe you can fly over to china and pick up ppe and you can bring it back and the airline reinforced with all of us repeatedly it's safe it's safe it's safe it's safe and then they also said all sorts of silly things like uh you can you can test uh, you know to help your it's an absolutely great way to help out your colleagues uh, masking works etc cetera, etc cetera. and then all of a sudden when the vaccine was the the great white hope for humanity um, as of an arbitrary date October thirty first Halloween mm-hmm. as of that date you were not even safe enough to return your iPad and your pass you leave it curbside or FedEx it in right so. Uh, the, this is a similar story to to so many other professions where we're mm-hmm. not unique or special in that regard. It's just, I, I remember 
um, listening to Danny Balford on an interview uh, because we do these interviews from time to time and always kind of wonder why people watch or why they're interested. But I, I, I remember listening to him talk about the personal detail of returning all his gear to, to, his, uh, to, to the place that he worked at. And I was absolutely riveted because so much of life is about story and so much of mm -hmm. the power of supporting each other is in telling those unique they seem like little stories but when you hear somebody else have a similar moment whether it's hugely emotional or challenging or something that they wrestle with it, it's really powerful so that so that's why I relate some of those pieces, you know, of putting your, your possessions in a little Ziploc bag as if you're a prisoner and sending them back to the company, right? And and when we did get back to work, once the mandate was suspended, the company sort of begrudgingly uh, dragged us back. I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but it's like, well, I don't even have my iPad. I couldn't even maintain professional currency because I had absolutely right. checked out. I'd come to peace with the fact that I would never fly an airplane again. And I was at peace with it. Um, and then all of a sudden, it's like, well, hey, on Sunday, you're coming in to, uh, to do a checkout again. And it's like, well, I might need my iPad back, so I remember how. And so you get a little box with your iPad and uh, a Ziploc bag, you know, with your parking pass and your ID. And it's like, man, you feel like you're uh, checking out of some sort of uh, barred institution at this point, right? So... Sorry, I'm just dealing, dealing with some chat here. Um, okay, so now you can't get your iPad. So you went for this checkout. So they were bringing you back? Yeah. Um, so um, so we were out of work from the end of uh, October until August, September of uh, last year. Um, and so I, that, that year in itself was... Uh, I'll, I'll get to your to your question. I'm just I've got a linear brain, and I'm so I'm working I'm working linearly. Um, it, it was I mean you had to laugh about some of it, and, and there's power in humor too, right? And and I, I remember getting um, just just talking to some of my colleagues and some of the things that they were doing for work. I had a buddy that uh, got his uh, his trucking license, and he was delivering pegs for a farmer, uh, and he's a super funny. Uh, just a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, man. Uh, and just the dry humor of being able to laugh at that, of falling off the back of a truck into a pile of pig crap uh, with his his truck. I mean, this is a guy who was a captain of, a, of, a, of an airline at a major Canadian airline, and then this is what he was doing. Another friend was working in a chicken plant, uh, like plucking and dissecting chicken or whatever you do in a chicken. Uh, I've plant, done that right? job. Yeah, and it was pretty. I, I think that was that was maybe the low. Uh, that was maybe the low bar. I don't know. Uh, I shoveled snow along with a couple other guys. Uh, you know, in the middle of the night with college students, and and I don't say, um, I don't say that as some sort of uh, badge of honor. I, I think the importance of those moments um, is to be blunt. They were they were humbling um, because mm -hmm. you get a bit of an ego when you've you've walked to the top of the proverbial career heap. And it was a good reminder that only by the grace of God uh, do we enjoy these things. And they can be taken from us in a heartbeat, or they can be taken from us by, by the budding tyrants in this country. Uh, and when we get to the point where we can sit there with our colleagues, and, and there were some beautiful, beautiful things that went on behind the scenes. I'm sure this no different with the doctors and nurses and otherwise, where people rallied around because there was those within our industry I mean, I spent time on the phone with with grown men in tears overtaking this job because they were just like, "I'm going to lose my house. Uh, I'm going to my kids are going to be homeless." Like, I I just mm -hmm. 
I have to take it. And they were heartbroken over it. But these same uh, guys and gals uh, stuck with us. And uh, there was money moving back and forth to help out people that were out of work and otherwise. So so that's the redemption that you uh, you saw during uh, during that season. And then, of course, the trucker convoy, um, just the, the amount of hope that that gave, uh, that gave all of us. Um, and, you know, then we, just to get back to your question, as we moved into... June of 22, 22, when the mandate was uh, suspended. So then at that point, um, right away, and and again, just to step back, there was endless, endless conversations that went on with management at these companies, with the unions at these companies. And it was, uh, it was deeply troubling to see ostensibly smart men and women uh, who uh, who have a conscience for sure, hang those up at the door and just continue to collect a paycheck. Uh, because I had that conversations where, where well, I would literally say, like, honestly, like, you're a smart guy. Like, you're, you're smarter than me because you're, you're, you're at this level of the company. But, like, what are you talking about? Um, and, and the union's the same. And, and, and that goes forward even, uh, even to this point. I mean, just, just to step back again here before we get to the back-to-work part, because the back to work part's actually not particularly uh, <laughs> particularly interesting. Um, early on, we we partnered up with the Canadian COVID Care Alliance. Uh, fantastic people do some great work um, on the medical side, which none of, none of us are experts at. So myself and Matt Sattler, my my co director with with Free to Fly, got on a call with some of them. Byron Brattle was one of them, and. Uh, a number of other uh, great doctors that were really doing their best to act ethically. And we said, hey, here's our concerns. And they said, man, of, of any profession, um, flight crew are probably the one we're the most concerned about because you you work in a very, very unique environment. You're in thin air for 70 or 80 hours of the month and you sit on your butt for long periods of time. So once you start talking about things like clotting and otherwise, this becomes extremely problematic. So they put together... A, a really great document uh, called the case against COVID vaccination for flight crew that yeah. was provided to a couple of them, the major airlines in this country to the unions as well. Uh, and it was complete and total crickets in spite of repeated attempts uh, to follow up on that. And, and this is a health and safety issue uh, for our crews. I mean, it's certainly the unions who uh, on the, on the face of it, at least should be extremely concerned about the people that they represent they didn't even want to talk about it. They didn't even answer it. And over and over, I'd say, this is a safety issue. I now put together a public letter um, amongst uh, all my colleagues to say, hey, this is a big issue. So those those breaches of um, of ethics, for lack of a better term, were were certainly disheartening. But it, it, I'm not one to to sit in a corner and kind of um, cry into my into my soup. Um, it's it simply it, it helped me understand what we were up against, uh, and so you you steal yourself for for the next battle and and you move forward. So as we moved back into June and these mandates were suspended, then it was the same thing. We were in constant conversation with management and otherwise, and then I said, well, at this point, um, because initially the the airlines were really kind of they were pretty excited to to jump on the Vax bandwagon because it, they want to make money at the end of the day. So they actually had something out there before it was mandated by the transport. Then when transport um, moved further, then it was kind of like, "Hey, uh, what are we, you know, what are we going to do here? It's uh, we're just doing our job type thing." So then once once the mandate was suspended, it was like, "Wow, you're you're not just doing your job anymore. Every day that we're out of work 
is now 100% on you. Um, and it's, it's not like that had great weight or, or effect. They, uh, regardless of what I said, it just, it needed to be said. Um, sometime in August, we started, uh, guys started, uh, coming back to work in the simulator, getting checked back out because you, your, your currencies have all lapsed by that point. And you've got to, uh, mm-hmm. get yourself back up to the professional standard that we all, uh, first and foremost expect of ourselves. And then our employer also expects of us. Um, now in, anytime I mention this, I always ensure that I also point out the fact that not all of my colleagues uh, are back to work and I, okay. uh, I want to make sure that that is very plain and clear as well. So there's particularly a group at WestJet of pilots and flight attendants. Uh, it's complicated to get into details and I won't get too far into the weeds with why. Okay. Um, but they, they were not okay with the, the terms of the leave, leave of absence because they were violated all sorts of things. And so they were outright fired. Now, when they started bringing people back, WestJet came back to them uh, and said, well, you can have your jobs back provided that you sign on the dotted line here and agree to all of these just ludicrous conditions, uh, a couple of which were signed on this forum saying that uh, WestJet respected your human rights and your charter rights. And, and I'm thinking, do you not understand the people that you're dealing with? Like they, they gave up their careers and they never expected to get it back. And now right. you're asking them to lie and sign their name on a piece of paper. Uh, and that was only a couple of the conditions. So I, a shout out to, uh, to those men and women, because man, they're still, uh, they are still standing 100% uh, strong and their families uh, are suffering because of it. And so I, I want to make sure that's, uh, that's, that's set up front. I, I always try to take that because I, I'm blessed uh, at this point to, uh, to be back to work along with the majority of people within the aviation industry. But there's others uh, who retired early who had no intention and that was their, their way of, of, uh, of getting out of this was, was to give up the final years of their career and there's pension implications and all sorts of other things. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I fully realize this was the same in, in policing and nursing and all sorts of others. So we're, we're not unique or, or great victims in that sense, but uh, same as others you've had on here, Jason. It's, uh, it's the same yeah. type of scenario. Now, I'm really surprised about the, well, I am and I'm not surprised about the union. It did seem like basically all industries, the unions were lockstep with the government, which is odd because the union's supposed to be your representation against regulators and other things. So it's really peculiar yeah. how all of them seem to have uh, went into lockstep with them. Did you see anything within your union, a little group in there pushing back, any of the executives at all saying anything, or were they all following that drumbeat? Not at the executive level, no. I would say there's far too much career jeopardy at that point. Um, within the union, I, I can't speak for all the unions, but but certainly. If you can see members might. pushing, but but leaders and executive, they were they were pushing back. Well, with it, within the executive of the company um, itself, they. I, I, I mean, I, I would send letters, um, and I would get. I mean, this is ongoing. There's there's stuff ongoing now, and and I could go mm-hmm. on and on about some of the compromises within the aviation industry right now that are greatly concerning to me. But but you send something off, and 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 ninety five percent of the time there's there's no response at all. It doesn't mean you don't send it because it's important to have that record, and you know that as a paralegal. Right. Um, yep. The rare time you get a response, you you get you get phrases like science based evidence, right? Like you you get that stuff um, right. as, as you would expect. 
unfortunately, you'd get the same sort of thing at times from from uh, union. I, I I can think of one guy at my own union who's been solid uh, throughout. Uh, he has responded to everything I've sent. Unfortunately, he's not sitting uh, at the head table. He's uh, he's kind of in a, in a lower position, but but he's been great. So I, I don't want to paint a universal picture. I try to be careful with my words. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are one or two who were sympathetic, but at the at the level that matters. Uh, once that, uh, once that mandate came down, then it was basically like, here's your choice. Uh, they, they didn't really do anything at all until there was one decision that came out with QP that looked like there might be a bit of a crack in the dike. And then all of a sudden, uh, you saw a couple things happen within the union where it was like, oh, okay, uh, we're actually going to file a grievance for anybody who's had a religious accommodation denied, right? Some, some sort of small piece that uh mm-hmm. that would that is almost insignificant and here we are whatever it is now two years later almost and, and there's no it's not going anywhere these grievances don't uh, typically it was more like hey now we can say that we've uh we've done something um at least at least right uh and, mm-hmm. and a lot of us pushed back in various ways i actually had covid early on very early on i didn't even know that's what it was um until I was like, I was out running or something. And I was like, man, I just can't get my oxygen. And I was like, oh, I wonder, because it seemed like a cold and I couldn't taste some stuff. And so the whole family got the blood test and everything. And sure enough, um, sure enough, we, uh, we had all had COVID. So I wasn't naive enough to think that this was going to slay the Vax dragon. But uh, of course, I made the natural immunity argument. And the answer that came back was literally, that doesn't count as being double vaxxed. <laughs> like, well, that's kind of the point. It's far superior, and it avoids yeah. that whole toxic um, mess. And um, so, those are some of the conversations that that transpired. You know, another one. I realize I'm jumping around a bit, but we're still kind of in the uh, the uh, not being at work part, I guess. Well, I could go on about a few things. I'm not sure. I, I can talk about leading up to getting out of work a little bit more. You can move on to something else if you want, Jason. No, you can keep leading up to uh, going without work. That's fine. But I just want to stop at the union for a second. We've noticed this all over the place. It seems like mm-hmm. the top of the union, so the executive levels, were in lockstep. Members, not so much. <laughs> a lot of members were fighting back. Um, liaisons, I guess the kind of guy you were speaking to, who would take mm-hmm. your stuff to the upper levels. They, too, some of them were pushing back. But yeah. the upper level, it looked like all unions were on the same page there. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have any votes within your union at all from the members on any of this stuff? Or was it all kind of like order and council where they just no. basically said, we're doing it? No, it was just, uh, this is the company policy and uh, and this is how we're, we're going to go. I mean, we asked about that at the very least. I, I, I've asked... From a from a vaccine injury standpoint, uh, if we could not pull the membership anonymously to see what the concerns are, because I think that's mm-hmm. that's a that's a genuine uh, a genuine concern. Um, but you know, I'll step back a little bit from a safety standpoint uh, again and just talk about the Transport Canada issue because that uh, the, like the way we fly airplanes was was the way we tried to approach this, and and even as far as free to fly when we formed it. Matt and I sat down and said, this, this is who we want to be, essentially, when we, we talk about who's free to fly and, and what are we. Um, we really want to summon the archetype of the calm, seasoned, 
pilot who, you know, when the engine's on fire, isn't cowering in a corner, uh, whimpering. Mm. You're calmly and methodically working uh, towards a solution. And that's that's what mm -hmm. we've tried to embody throughout. So when this whole uh, vax slash experimental gene therapy thing uh, came out, uh, I approached it the same way. I, I emailed to Transport uh, Doctor, the Eastern Regional Medical Director for Transport Canada. And I said, well, what happens if, um, if this doesn't go well? If something bad happens and I lose my license? Uh, and the answer was, well, uh, you're far higher risk from COVID than you are from this jab. And I said, well, I know my IFR, like it's sub 0.5%. And can you explain mm -hmm. to me what you're basing your statements about this quote unquote vaccine on experientially or otherwise? And I never uh, got a response. Nope. Same thing with the airline. Uh, I said, we fly airplanes a certain way. We're, we're obsessed with safety um, or we certainly were three years ago. Uh, it's not how we've approached this. It's not how we've approached masking. It's not how we've approached our medicals. But um, that's a whole other conversation. I said, well, what if what if I, because I'm what you call a narrow body pilot. I, I fly, uh, I don't fly overseas because I don't feel like sitting in a metal tube for 12 hours. So I, I sometimes in a given day, I'll go a couple legs. And sometimes you're running behind and the company is obsessed with on-time performance because they kind of live and die by OTP. So I said, okay, I, I get in from uh, I get in from New York, and I'm going off to uh, wherever Edmonton, and we're running late. You know, it's only 15 minutes to the actual push time. Passengers are all on board because that happens, and it's one of the things we dislike. You've probably seen it. You know, you walk in, and the whole airplane's looking at you, boring holes in the back of your head, like where were you? So I get in, and I'm like, ah, you know what? The odds of me finding something on a walk around are like less than one percent. So I'm not going to do the walk around. Um, I'm not going to check the aircraft uh, maintenance manual because a bunch of guys earlier in the day probably checked it. So we're, we're good. We don't need to do our briefings. Let's just light the engines, get airborne, and we'll pick the first waypoint and, and we'll go flying. And that would satisfy what is really the prevailing desire of the airline is to meet on-time performance, much mm -hmm. like you want me to get jabbed. But I would lose my job if that's how I flew airplanes. But you Correct. expect me to do I that was wondering... with body. Yeah, right. was, you, when you're you, saying you, that, I'm like, there's no way you're doing that. I know you're doing the walk around. I know you're checking the, ma the maintenance manual. Right. All of that stuff absolutely has to be done every time. <laughs> and, and yet you want me to take something with um, with my own body. And people make an argument about, well, it's it's part of the job requirement. I, I understand job requirements. I understand I, I've got to do A, B, C. The difference with all those job requirements is when I come home, I hang my uniform up, and then I'm Greg Hill at home. When I stick something mm -hmm. in my body that can't be undone, it's there until the day I die. And That's so it's right. a very, very different, and, and it's you know it's almost a false equivalency uh, in what I would say is, is, is beneficial to my argument against asking me to do something that has not been properly studied or otherwise. Um, so that, you know, I, I sent those same uh, little... I call them, uh, you know, word pictures. I used to use them with my kids because telling a story sometimes is better than hearing dad drone on. But uh, I got no response to those to those either. Um, so those are the kind of things uh, with, with transport that were were frustrating. Um, they pulled stuff off their website that had been there for uh, for years and years because it didn't fit with the narrative. So it's you know we've really taken um, a safety obsessed uh, industry. Um, and, and turn it on its head and in, in how we've handled these things, uh, you know, whether that's with the jab itself, whether that's with uh, 
masking in an airplane where you were certainly as the crew that's responsible for getting that airplane on the ground in, in something like an explosive decompression, nobody talked about time of useful consciousness, right? I mean, if you're at flight level 350, 35,000 feet in the air, and the airplane all of a sudden loses, um, loses pressure, pressure, you've got like 30 seconds to get yourself squared away and get an oxygen mask on and otherwise. And meanwhile, you've got, uh, we didn't wear masks while we were flying, but there were some guys who did. And it was explained that, well, it's, it's up to you if you want to wear a mask while you're flying. Why on earth anybody would do that? I don't know. But there was guys who did. Um, that's okay. I'm like, where did somebody study this? Did somebody study the implications of communication in a flight deck? Because there's times where you're talking and even with the microphone, um, you muffled. can't quite make out it. Right, and I'll look at a guy's face so that I can quasi, the, the, his lips moving help me hear what he's actually saying, if you know what I mean, right? We do that. Yeah, yeah you also have surround sound too. There's a lot of noise in that right. airplane. Yeah. So so all of those things are, are greatly concerning. Uh, I think Transport Canada really abdicated their role as a safety regulator in this country, um, and they continue to do so for uh, for a number of reasons. I'm in a little bit of shock right now because I didn't know it was getting that bad for airline. And I'm not going to say which one you're on. You leave that off the table. But I, I couldn't believe it was getting that bad. Um, okay, so now let's take us to uh, you losing your job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, well, that was that was going into uh, going into October. Um, and, Getting closer to uh, Halloween. Yeah, so so it, you know it, 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 we had quite a sizable group of guys um, and gals that were really opposed to it, but the same as all the other industries, um, we we were sort of hoping that uh, something would happen towards the final um, the final weeks. So the number that we're holding out kind of dwindled and dwindled and dwindled to a fairly small uh, group. And the the only reason I say that is because it matters. Um, mm -hmm. Collective action matters. If you look at what happened in the states, we're, we're affiliated with with organizations, U.S. Freedom Flyers in the states, the Aussie Freedom Flyers, Navigon Libre over in Europe, <clears throat> who do, are doing similar things in their country. Now, in the states, you had a good chunk of some of those airlines, uh, Southwest, for instance, and, and I, I don't know what the percentages were, but it was fairly small, probably five, ten percent, that said, "I'm never taking that in my body." Period. End of the conversation. And then the airline does essentially a risk, a business risk analysis, and they're like, hmm, it seems like they're serious and uh, this airline isn't going to function properly anymore. Unfortunately, up here, it was a very, very small uh, group across. Um, the only one that I really know the numbers for is the, is the, uh, the, the pilots. Um, flight attendants, I got a pretty good idea as well, but it, it was small enough that it didn't because people, you know, would email us and think, oh, you know, when, when things were going sideways that one summer, they're like, yeah, it's because of all those unjabbed guys that are out of work. And I'm like, uh, I wish that was no. the case. But unfortunately, we were um, acceptable. It was acceptable attrition because it didn't impact, certainly during COVID when the flying was so light. I would mm -hmm. say it's different now. Like we're so short um, across the industry, it might be a little bit uh, different. But but that collective action matters. Uh, and as somebody that's uh, involved in politics, Jason, you understand the importance of this, right? Of people telling themselves, well, it's only one vote. It's like, well, it's only one vote times 100, 1,000, 5,000. Right? Like all these people saying it's only one. This is the importance of, um, of, of standing up for what you believe in one by one right. by one. Um, yeah, so we have, yeah, we have I, a saying, yeah, we have a saying, uh, I'm just one person said 7 billion mm -hmm. people. 
Right. Yeah. 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 So right. it's so collectively. Uh, we're... Yeah. So it was it was very similar. Um, and uh, and and then we got into the to the point where we were uh, we were out of work. And, I, you know, I haven't really thought about it um, a lot lately, but um, it, it was a little bit surreal. Right. Because uh, one of the it's different things that, that really strike you and, and part of it. And I talked to some of my colleagues. I've been flying airplanes uh, for 30 years, which means I live out of a suitcase for 30 years. Your suitcase is always in the corner of the bedroom and it's half packed. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you go from that <clears throat> to being home every single day. And it sounds it sounds great on some level, but when it's part of your DNA, um, it was weird and it was really messing uh, with my head a little bit. Um, the lack of paycheck was was problematic as well. Um, although, you know, I'll say... Um, grace of God and the goodness of other people, um, we got through it. Now, you know, I'm in my 50s. Uh, some of my colleagues, uh, I can think of one, like the the chicken plant guy. Um, his wife wasn't working. He's got three kids. Um, so I, I'm in a point everywhere other than myself because there's people that took uh, far bigger hits with, with less to fall back on um, than mm-hmm. I did. And they did so because they're men and women of principle and that's really what we need going forward Uh, and i would hope that what we've seen over these past few years has people awake to the fact that uh whatever you hypothesize is the next great move of the uh the totalitarian chess masters that enough of the population will say i matter um being vocal about what i believe in matters And and we've seen some of that in the streets at least with some of this uh drag queen story hour and all this other nonsense we're actually seeing people start to get up and get vocal which is uh, which is great to see because there's there's no sort of shortage of things that you can invest um your courage and your principles in these days yeah i kind of feel like this whole gender thing is to dilute our efforts they don't really care but they want to give us a really big fight while we have other fights to do can you imagine if this gender thing a child indoctrination and the sexualization of our children was a non-issue we could really focus a lot harder on vaccine injury vaccine harm and other issues so i'm wondering if they threw this gender thing at us i'm saying they being globalist uh in order to dilute all of our efforts because we all care about our children we want to make sure our children are safe so there's a lot of us focusing on that while there's only a few of us left on other issues um maybe a little tinfoil hatty but we seem to have a lot of big issues to deal with now no well i think i i do think there's an aspect of this being a shock and awe campaign uh we've, we've we saw that uh to use battle analogy, um, mm-hmm. and I'll take that battle analogy a, a step further, in order to, if you want to defeat the em- enemy, um, come at them from six or seven different angles with uh, eight right. different weapons, right? But part of the problem that I see within our like-minded community is, and I think all of us are leaders, and I think we've got to start grasping that. We've got to understand that we are leaders in society. It doesn't matter who you are, you're a leader. Um whether that's in your own home, your neighborhood, or otherwise, your leaders. And one of We're the picks, right? worst thing... Hmm? We're picks, right? Pilots in command. This is in our nature. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so one of, the, one of the worst things you can do as a leader in, in the proverbial firefight to continue uh, the analogy is to do nothing but scream about incoming fire, right? And I feel like sometimes that's what we're doing. We get these news feeds and it's just endless posting of all the bad news. It's not actually particularly helpful to do that. 
what we actually need to do is determine what are the greatest threats um, individually. I have my own um, my own thoughts on that. What our greatest hope is. I have a very definite idea of that as a Christian, and we need okay. to uh, push back accordingly. And we need to gather the people around us and say, "Yeah, uh, here's what's happening, and here's what we're going to do." Because because endlessly commenting on on all of the bad news is is not a particularly effective strategy for winning the greater. Um, the greater war. I mean, this this transgender um, and, and all this other sexualization of children, et cetera, et cetera. It's actually something that I'm quite um, concerned about, and, and I hear mm-hmm. what you're saying. But and, and I know this isn't the point of it. We don't need to go on about it. But I do think the dismantling of the nuclear family is 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 it, it, it's the demise of a nation um, mm-hmm. because, in particularly once you start getting at the kids, and I'm I'm very passionate about the next generation. If we lose that next generation, we lose the future. Um, Lenin said something along those lines of, of give me, you know, give me one generation, I'll change your country. I've, I've completely butchered the quote, but that was the gist of it. And so I think that's part of it is, is once you, uh, once you take that generation of children and make them little more than wards of the state, um, mm-hmm. you have, you have warped an entire generation going forward and your nation is in, in a dire state. So I, I think I, I commend all of those who are, are vocally pushing back on this because I do think it's an issue that's at the crux of, of where we go as a nation uh, in the future. So um, yeah, anyway, get yeah, back to the uh, the aviation piece. But uh, yeah, I'm just going to quickly say you're not wrong about the um, destruction of the nuclear family, and that's happened sixties, fifties, but all the way back there, where. Um, some say where the welfare system came in, uh, encouraging single mothers, taking the father out of the home, certain places, mm-hmm. people with less income. It really made it difficult. Um, and it pretty much started way back then, some people believe. And now it's really just coming to, the, the trend has been continuing. So now we take the father out. Now we're even taking the mother out. And now it's just the state who's, who's now replacing both of them. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I see this as a massive issue as well. Uh, and now let's get into... Um, which one do you think is the more important one? Which is the one you think we need to address? Between what are we comparing? Uh, vaccine harm, gender, other uh, agendas. You kind of mentioned there that you kind of identified one or two of them as the ones we need to focus on. Well, obviously, I mean, I'm heading up an organization that's that's fully invested in the injustice that was, was uh, brought to bear upon our upon our um, our industry and so i'm completely invested in that and continuing uh to work at that um but when i look at um when i look at the nation as a whole and i look at the direction that we're going uh because mm-hmm. because stepping back to the whole you know what, what do we actually do if we're the proverbial leader in the foxhole and we're like hey troops come on here here's what we're going to attack um for myself and and this this filters everything I do, and it's the bedrock of, of everything I do. I think until we get back to the supremacy of God, if you look at our Constitution, it, it, you know, that's, that's the, how it opens, uh, the supremacy of God and the rule of law. We've lost both of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would argue the second we've lost because we've lost the first. Um, and until we get back to that bedrock and understand the why and how of uh, of where we're founded, and you can go back to, well, you can go back thousands of years, I suppose, but if you go back to, to certainly um, the bedrock of the North American continent, if you want to, if you want to say, if you go back to, to um, the Pilgrims and the Puritans and otherwise, I mean, 
the democratic West and the United States in particular, and I could go on about the, the differences constitutionally or otherwise, because they're, they're at the core of what we're talking about. Our constitution is very, very, very problematic. Um, the American one is not as much so part, partly because of an originalist uh, interpretation versus this living tree nonsense that we, we uh, filter our own with. But the reason that the U.S. has enjoyed such a long and unprecedented run as the freest, most democratic um, country, and you know, I'd argue ours is, is, is certainly up there, although we're not doing well right now, right. Uh, is because that's the bedrock upon which they were founded. So anything that's that's attacking that and undermining it is going to undermine us and cause us the loss of these freedoms that you and I are so passionate about. Uh, and so that's that's what really it it informs why I'm doing what I'm doing with Free to Fly, and it informs why I'm sitting here talking to you right now. It informs why I'm passionate about the next generation, why I'm passionate about the nuclear family, uh, and why faith. I mean, faith is at the core of of everything that I do. Uh, and so I, I genuinely make an effort when I get up in the morning. Um, with no different than you, I I don't know how you manage this podcast schedule that you've got going because uh, I, I managed to put one. Oh, understanding. I managed to put a video out once every four months. Maybe um, I'm not particularly good at it, and I don't enjoy it uh, maybe as much as you do. But you know, there's 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 always more things to do in a day than there are time. Um, mm -hmm. But I I feel a calling uh, before God to sit down and say what what should I be doing today? Uh, should I spend an hour fiddling around on social media, trying to clear all the red dots off my phone, or what should I actually be doing? And I, I think that really has to, to, to answer, I am trying to answer your question, that has to inform how we spend our time, because every minute matters. Um, yeah. And when you, when you try to live your life like that, um, it's a bit of a, it can really rock your world because, and I'm not saying you do nothing but work because spending time relaxing with your family is extremely important as well. But when we look at the plethora of attacks on our, um, on our freedoms, on our kids and otherwise, we really need to have some wisdom and discernment to understand what to work on. Um, and I know where wisdom comes from. Um, that comes from God, and so that's where mm -hmm. that's where I seek to find the answer to to both what to spend my time on, uh, and I'm also very hopeful uh, because I do think God is sovereign over all. I believe He's sovereign at this right. time, um, and I believe that um, that victory has already been won. Uh, and so my job is to be to be a steward of the time and the resources that I've got, um, and to 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 speak and act in in accordance with that. So a bit of a long winded uh, answer that maybe didn't get right down to it, and that's been part no. of it is because I do. I do struggle to, to, to figure out what the most important um, thing is to spend uh, to spend time on just on a given uh, on a given day. Uh, but having these conversations, I think, are, are, are awesome, Jason. And I think uh, they're, they're good because they force all of us to look ourselves in the mirror and say, hey, where's where's my heart at? Because I think that matters. That matters probably more than than anything is is how am I approaching this and, and where is my heart at? Well, I'm going to kind of answer one of your questions, like, how do I do this? I do two podcasts a day. I do about three hours a day. Uh, the answer is I'm in my education right now. I'm in training to be the best MP or member of parliament I can be. And that requires me to meet with hundreds of people across the spectrum, different ideas, communication yeah. styles, and work with them. So I'm actually in yeah, yeah. two-year training right now. That's the way I look at it. 
And just Love like it. I did with, yeah, just like I did as a pilot, I went every day, I paid attention, I took it seriously, because most people fail out of uh, flight school. I didn't. Uh, and that's just my personality is to actually take it seriously and, and follow it all the way through. So to answer your, your question, though, Greg, I, I intend to be an effective and the type of MP that we all want, the kind that I want. And that is somebody yeah. who's experienced with talking to everybody, get all the subject matters coast to coast and understand it. Um, it may be a new type of MP because you get to watch me do this for two years. Uh, but I think mm -hmm. the end goal, um, I'll land my, my career in a very comfortable spot. Uh, and that's my right. idea there. So that's, that's what motivates me to actually become the MP that I think my children need uh, because we mm -hmm. need to stop some of these other guys. And another thing that you brought up, which I definitely want to um, validate for you, I am pleasantly surprised at how much faith there is in the people who come on the show and talk to me. Uh, the, almost everybody has subtly, um, comfortably, or just outright explained to me that, that faith is the most important part to them. And I'm finding yeah. that common thread with a, a lot of the people have, who said yes and come on to the show. So I'm curious, maybe that is the, the most important thing. Uh, if we can get faith right, if we can understand the family better, everything else can be built on that foundation. Is that where you're headed with that? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, like I said, it, it, that's that's the reality is, uh, you know, I, I, unless we get that piece um, right, then, and again, this isn't just hairy-fairy. This is going back to... Uh, to you know, men and women who have stood courageously for some of the same issues that we're advocating for, uh, we're we're talking kind of around the the issues of of, uh, of medical freedom, of bodily autonomy, and otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I would say to people who were kind of like, "Eh, well, that's not a big deal. I'll take a job." It's like, okay, um, maybe you're not so concerned with bodily autonomy, but there's all sorts right. of other freedoms that, when they come for those, you are going to be. Uh, concerned about it. So if you go back to the 1600s, um, you know, and or you talk about uh, men like Samuel Rutherford or uh, William Tyndale or, or people who who stood up uh, Bunyan uh, and, and gave their lives for freedom or the Puritans who crossed an ocean and left the country because their ability to worship God in freedom mattered that much to them. Right. Um, right. That, that, that's at the bedrock of, of, of what we have been as a nation and the further we get from that you're watching the dismantling of of, the, of western democracy um canada seems to be racing to be at the the pack of dismantling that as quickly as possible we're, but, we're the pilot country just so you know yeah but but i mean if you if you go down to the states i i, I testified at a congressional hearing in ohio um about a year and a half ago on on the loss of religious liberty here in canada and one of the mm -hmm. wise things that some of the ohio ohioans that also testified because there was some democratic um they just happen to be the democrats but the in the part of the hearing they were like why why does this why is this an issue for ohio and some of the people from ohio stood up and said because it's right up there it's not very far it's very much the same as us it's the same type of a society it's enjoyed the same freedoms and the same thing is coming here unless we understand that this Correct. bedrock of faith is at the core of who we are um then we are going to be in the same uh, the same messy situation. So, you know, biblically, uh, the answers that we find are, um, they can sound simple. They're very, very difficult in walking them out. And, and I'm not saying that 
uh, medical freedom or whether or not you took the jab is an issue um, of faith. There, there's faith-based reasons why people uh, chose not to to get them. People, mm-hmm. a lot of people in their religious accommodations said, "My my body's a, body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, and so I I got to be careful what I do with it." As just as an example, um, right. but uh, you know, walking that out. Uh, faithfully every day. There's a, there's a verse in Micah that says, he's told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Sounds fairly easy, but when you're actually doing justice, because it that's actually an action word, right? When you're acting justly, when you're loving kindness, when you're walking humbly with God, and probably that last part is perhaps the most difficult, is walking humbly with God, what does that mean? Uh, you know that, that that's really a lifelong journey, um, but but it is at the very core of of our answer as a nation, uh, as, as I see it, uh, because you can almost track it linearly over the past several decades if, as we've walked further and further away from that mm-hmm. into this humanistic neo-Marxist uh, quasi-utopia that, that that we're all seeking. Uh, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. It seems to be getting progressively worse the further and further we walk away from our faith-based foundations. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I don't think that's uh, a mistake. I think we need to recognize that the further we get away from. Here's the thing: people want faith. You can either put it into God or the government, and it looks like the government wants a lot of people to switch the faith to them. You take care of me. Yeah. You keep me safe. You keep me secure. I can just pass my decision-making to you. If you want to put that faith into God, <laughs> I think you will find yourself right. a little bit more secure. Because one of the things that we, and I think you might be able to agree with me on this, we don't have a lot of fear because we know how the story ends. We just need to stay mm-hmm. true to ourselves and continue right. on that journey. So yeah. no, for I me, I, I, I sleep well because I know how this story ends. I just need to stay on my path in order to be part of that. Yeah. You feel the same way. No, 100%. Right? And, and, and your point about um, about putting faith in things is, is very astute. And I remember this having this conversation with a pastor early on as they were saying, oh, you got to close your churches and saying people need to be led. They need to be led and they need to be reminded of where our faith is because when people are in crisis, they're desperate for leadership, and mm-hmm. and the nation was was in crisis. Uh, it's a different crisis than we've seen in the past. But but hey, man, the media and the government did their best to make it as scary as possible. So people were in crisis. Well, if you don't step into that gap and provide leadership as a shepherd um, of your flock, then people are, as you said, Jason, going to run to something else to try and find mm-hmm. safety, and and that is largely what happened. Uh, not so much with the people that are probably on this call. Um, but in a lot of the rest of society. And this is why I say we all have to see ourselves as leaders. Uh, and part of what leaders do is, 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 you know, they don't lie to people and they don't give them false hope. They're pragmatic and they're honest about the odds and, and where things are going. But at the same time, they remind them of what our ultimate hope with a catch, capital H is. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, how the story ends and uh, what we need to be doing in the meantime, which is proclaiming that uh, truth to those around us and, and confronting the lies as as they come to us. And so that's a lot of that's a lot of where that was at. And, and you know, back to the aviation piece, that that's really um, that's really what what I was trying to do. That's what so many of my colleagues were trying to do is confront the lies and speak truth. Uh, and that that's ongoing uh, even to this day with a lot of the, of other stuff that's going on uh, within the industry is is 
confronting some super frustrating similarities, you know, even now with people that are kind of like, well, we'll just turn a blind eye to that. And it's not really a big deal. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're good to go as we are. And it's like, man, uh, nope. Um, I was pretty unequivocal in the past. I was willing to give up a 30 year career over this. So I'm probably mm -hmm. not going to be quiet about compromises that I see in the here and now. And, um, and I'm sure a lot of your viewers slash listeners <clears throat> are fatigued. Um, I'm sure you're fatigued, Jason. It's, uh, it's been a grind and it just, stuff keeps coming and keeps and keeps coming. And that's why that quiet moment of saying, Hey, Lord, what do, what do you want me to be working on today? Because uh, there's a lot of incoming fire and, and we've got to determine what to, what to confront, but we, that we don't put our head in the sand and stop confronting um, what we're up against. Yeah, and you were talking about how faith, leadership, shepherding is important. Uh, and I was speaking to uh, Pastor Robin McKee and uh, Melissa McKee, who do the Bikers Church. Yeah, the mm -hmm. Bikers Church oh, in, Ottawa? in uh, Ottawa. Yeah, okay. so yeah. They, they kept their doors open. Uh, <clears throat> the government didn't come down on him, uh, as we heard other places. They kept their doors open. Mm. But, but the one story that he told me that really resonated with me was somebody who wanted to just speak to God. He wanted to go and just be heard, has his voice out. So he wasn't necessarily looking for leadership. He was looking for outlet, uh, and he wanted to be mm. able to have that outlet. And it was getting to the point where he was talking about hurting himself if he can't do that. Um, right. So they were they were allowed so many people in the church during one moment in time, and uh, he, in, he instituted his plus one policy, which means we're always going to add one more. Um, always. <laughs> we never turn anybody away. And because right. of that, he, he absolutely saved at least this gentleman's life uh, and probably mm -hmm. a lot more that we didn't hear the stories of. So yeah, you're right. right. The, and in faith, we want shepherding. We want to help guide people, you know, help show them the path. But some people also need to be able to have an outlet and they want to talk to God. And, and that way, uh, that well, it was important to this gentleman as well. And, and that was something that a lot of people don't realize, especially if you don't have faith, that you need an outlet. You need to be able to speak, have a prayer, uh, have, have an ear, and uh, not necessarily always shepherding, but an outlet for that. Um, so I found that interesting. Yeah, well, and, and we're commanded to to meet furthermore, right? So um, mm. it's it's the old adage of uh, when the state commands what's forbidden or forbids what was commanded, then the, at that point, uh, civil disobedience uh, starts to come into play, right? And then that was really behind right. some of these courageous uh, men who kept their uh, the churches open and, um, yeah, good on them. I may have taken credit. And, and paid the price. So I, I'm speaking with mm -hmm. Ars Pulowski to, on the 7th, so next Tuesday I'm speaking mm -hmm. to him. And his uh, right. sentencing date was on the 9th, but it's been moved to September. Mm. So he's oh. got a little bit, more, little bit more time to find out his fate as well. But there's right, a right. fine example of somebody who stood up on his convictions and uh, the state came down really hard on him. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of you out there, Greg, who, who definitely did that. Uh, we got Arthur, we got you, we got Chris Barber. We got so many who did exactly that. So first of all, thank you. Also, I forgot to mention, thank you for your service um, when you were working uh, for us, when we weren't even paying attention to that. So thank you for that. No, now, thanks. now you've got freedom, free to fly, and you've got your partner, and you're putting this organization together. Can we get into what it is that you plan to accomplish or you'd like to accomplish with this? And how has it been going for you so far since you first sat down and said, we need to do something? I'm sure just right. like every other entrepreneur, because you would be an entrepreneur, there's some pivots along the way. Um, mm -hmm. have there been a couple pivots and then kind of where, where are you at now with it? 
Yeah, for sure. I, I, I guess I think of life in terms of seasons because uh, I find that helpful. So there was the season leading up to all losing our jobs. Uh, there was all sorts of uh, different quasi campaigns we uh, we had going with our various unions of letter writing, and uh, they were you know they were effective in gaining some attention. Maybe there was things that we did with the rest of our. Uh, I'm speaking to the pilots specifically now, but then that's not to minimize uh, flood attendants or air traffic controllers or maintenance workers or otherwise who who did all sorts of great things as well. It's just I, that's that's the water I swim in, so I can speak to it. Mm -hmm. um, but trying to raise some some awareness amongst our colleagues as well, um, because there, there's there's things that happened from a union standpoint, and and this is the nature of of unions is. They work okay. I'm not a big unionist, um, but they work okay when you're ideologically aligned with them. Um, the moment you cross that line, not so much, right? Which is what we saw. So trying to raise some awareness with our colleagues, at least, because when you've got um, a large handful of, of uh, guys and gals that are out of work, it's very different than when you've got hundreds and hundreds. But if you can if you can raise hundreds and hundreds who start beating down the door of your union, then maybe things will, will change, right? Um, and that was the same with the unions across the country. If you had had not even the majority, again, if you'd had 20, 30% of them that had said a hard, fast, no, we're going to fight this, it would have been very, very different. Um, and so that was part of what we were trying to do. <clears throat> In the end, it wasn't successful because the unions just kind of towed the party line. So that was one season, um, you know, then as we move forward, um, we've, we've tried to approach things as pilots, I guess, where we're gathering everything at once, um, constantly risk mitigating, really wanting to be careful about a misstep, but at the same time, the airplane keeps moving forward, right? I mean, if you're flying from Toronto to Calgary, you can't pull over and think about things for a bit. It keeps moving. So we keep things moving. But at the same time, we're assessing the weather, we're assessing the where the jet stream's sitting, where the bumps are at, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we tried to, to do the same thing with Free to Fly. So we started an aviation legal campaign. Um, well, I mean, we, we did a lot of, in terms of advocacy for the passengers that weren't able to fly as well. And, and I want to be very clear that this isn't a group that's focused solely on our aviation professionals. Um, throughout that, um, Throughout that whole messy season we got tons of uh emails from people that uh my wife's kindly bringing me another coffee here i asked her to hit me halfway through with the coffee so great job midway point um, pass no return point of no return yeah. you have to finish now Greg. Right, you yeah. have to finish now <laughs> yeah um so we, we'd get heartbreaking stories uh which i'm sure you've you've heard so i don't need to go yeah. on and on about them but man they're they're not small i mean you're missing deaths of family members you're missing weddings uh you've got uh, i've got one of our kids that wasn't able to go to to university out west because of this whole mess um and part of that was because of the whole travel thing but it was also because of the university policy but but you're hearing these stories of people that are unable uh, to get back and forth so we did some work behind the scenes trying to see if there was ways to get people moving back and forth and otherwise so that was you know these things are all happening in parallel you've got the aviation professional stuff that's mm -hmm. going on trying to you're just you're basically trying to find little areas of vulnerability that you can exploit. So there's a lot of uh, strategizing with that. Uh, we wanted to also um, 
provide people with some hope by being part of a community. And I don't think you, mm-hmm. can, you can underestimate that. And, and I know you've, you've seen that with, with what you're doing here as well. And we hear that over and over from people. I, I thought I was the only one until I stumbled across uh, you guys. So that was a, a big part of it. Then as we moved into 22, we started an aviation legal uh, campaign. Um, and then it was a pretty long season of, of determining uh, where that was going to go because we had the the freedom convoy in the midst of that and then not too long after that we started to well even even during that and before we'd see these decisions whether it was out of manitoba or alberta or bc and the courts had clearly chosen a side to steal from yeah. uh, my friend bruce bruce party uh the courts have clearly taken a side with this stuff it's like well yeah but section one uh you know covid death to the masses we we're, we're just not going to pay attention to much past section one because it's been demonstrably justified in a clear in a, you know free and democratic society and it's like uh ow <laughs> i'm not seeing the i'm not seeing that myself so seeing these various uh legal actions uh take place and fail and then and then trying to determine exactly what the best way is to uh, to exploit that a lot of our members were union based and people just didn't understand how that worked and, and even to this day people come to me and say well what are you going to do to go to go after this company and it's like well you, you, it doesn't work that way like you're part of a union right. and unfortunately uh you got to dance with the one who brought you. And unfortunately, she doesn't like you anymore, so you're not dancing with anybody. Uh, that's kind of how it plays out. Unfortunately, this is the, the terrible nature of unions when they decide to do nothing to represent uh, a portion of their membership. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can you can do things like DFRs, the duty of fair representation. Unfortunately, statistically, 98% of the time, those are ruled in favor of the unions. It doesn't mean that you don't pursue it because, um, because you know, in, in part, the, pun- the, the process uh, is the punishment, but also you can't just sit back and let people empty out your proverbial home and then thank them when you get the house back uh, with nothing left in it right um so we we have some uh individual actions that are going on um kind of in the background we we're not super public with them they're they're individuals uh it's important to point out to people and and i understand why people get frustrated with it but sometimes people will say well so and so you're representing so and so at this company like what does that do for me uh and the say well because you're also an employee very similar and if this is successful then now you've got a precedent upon which you can stand um i try to be pretty pragmatic with people i say it's an extremely steep hill uh, to climb in this Mm -hmm. country right now from a legal perspective the judiciary um is very compromised um i guess my macro level approach to where we're at canada uh at this point is you know, pol- politics is downstream of culture. Um, and unfortunately, I would argue that the judiciary in this country is downstream of politics, it would seem a lot of the time. Ergo, circle back to the start, where are we at? We're at culture. We're at changing culture. We're at the hard issues that we were just talking about, Jason, is until we change culture, until we change the heart of man, I don't see really, really clear um, solutions. So, that informs some of what we're doing. Some of what we want to do is what I'm doing with you here tonight is, is uh, right. you know, it's it's the hearts and minds. It's it's speaking to however many people um, want to listen. And, hey, people that want to argue, too, because I think the arguments, uh, th- those arguments are important. But it, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm answering your question in a, in a roundabout way, but I am um, kind of getting to, to, a, to a point here um, somewhere along the way. But it, early on... 
because I, I was talking about the legal stuff. Um, and actually, let me finish that piece. So okay. we've had this aviation legal campaign. It's We've watched where things have gone. And out of that, we now have a class action that's been filed. Um, it, it was filed in BC, and that's that's underway at this point. Um, the strategy is, is unique. It's unique because we watched a lot of the other things that were done, and they, they didn't seem to be going terribly well. So the, the core of the strategy is inducement, that the government essentially induced uh, a breach of our contract um, mm. as employees. So, Clever. so that's the gist. Uh, yeah, Omar Sheikh um, is our lawyer. Um, he's he's uh, an ethical guy whose heart is in the right place and who's doing this for the right reasons. I can. Uh, there's a bunch of stories behind the scenes that that I, I find. I, I'm very very cynical, and I've been really hard on him. <laughs> and I'll, I, I I apologize to him regularly, but I. I I ask a lot of questions and I'm very distrusting um, of the legal realm. Um, but I do believe his heart is in the right place. Um, and so the, 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 he came up with a you know a unique strategy along with some others. And that's the approach we're taking. So that's that'll be heading to class certification uh, in the fall. That's on our website if people want to read the actual statement of claim okay. um, and get into some of the details. Um, are are but, you trying to use a charter on that one at all? Or are you not bothered? Well... We're finding out Alberta, the charter, too, too many holes in it. Right. Uh, yeah, which is, is what I was just talking about, and, and it's been right. a journey with that, where it's like... Because inducement's a tort, so you're doing a civil tort. Mm-hmm. Uh, inducement, because mm-hmm. they, they stepped in, involved themselves in a contract where they don't belong, uh, so that's a clever way to do it. But there's no room for the charter in that, is there? Well, it's, it's listed in there um, as well with uh just as one of your arguments yeah okay. and, and i don't want, for obvious reasons want to get too far into the strategy or the details here uh, but that's listed in the statement of claim which which you can okay. read through to uh, your legal mind well, is probably far better than mine but. <laughs> sure can i just quickly ask what the remedies you're seeking are then uh well there, there's no cost associated with it because i think that's presumptive um at, at the stage that we're at but damages general special exemplary punitive damages um as part of that uh, so that i mean there's no dollar figure associated with it i mean the first obvious big hurdle is getting through class certification correct and we there's been two case management judges uh, signed we've had some preliminary conversations with uh with some of the government lawyers and that's kind of where it stands right now so i expect certification in the fall, uh, hard to say what time. You you know better than anyone that the uh, the process is glacial when it comes to the law uh, in this country. So uh, it'll be uh, it'll be long, um, assuming we get through certification. Uh, but that uh, that'll be the first uh, the first hurdle for sure. And who are the plaintiffs? Uh, myself, um, the representative plaintiffs. Myself, Brent Warren, and uh, Tanya Lewis. Um, and then so the class action there. itself. Right, and then and then the class uh, beyond that, right? But we're the representative plaintiffs going into it. So, are you calling out to anybody to be part of the class, or you already have your class? Like, have yeah. you identified well, who's no, in the class? Yes, and so that's uh, the best thing to do is to go on our website if if somebody's interested. There's an FAQ on there that defines that uh, more clearly. We do, we okay. got a lot of questions on it at the start. And then in a, a temporary moment of sanity, I was like, hey, why not put an FAQ up so I can stop answering these emails? So yep. uh, so the questions have been less, but we do have quite a number um, signed up and that's that's ongoing. There's no hard deadline right now because really until until yeah, we get through certification, 
yeah, there's there's no point in getting really deep into uh, contractual matters, et cetera, et cetera. So. All right. Only two more questions on this one. Who is the defendants? Who are you suing? So it's uh, Transport Canada, I would assume. Yeah, I mean it's essentially uh, the government. So uh, the king, uh, the the minister. He's of, always uh, put on there. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's, yeah, that's yeah. somewhat of a uh, I don't know if you want to call it a, a formality. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's uh, Minister of Transport, Attorney General of Canada, was who was uh, was sent to. So. Okay, and then my last question: Why BC? Uh, that's where, well, part of it is that's where our lawyer uh, resides. So just from a from a standpoint of practicality in terms of proximity, mm-hmm. um, that makes uh, that makes sense. Um, and that was that was probably the main reason, along with some some other peripheral ones in terms of uh, of how it's affected cost wise, et cetera. Okay, so you're in BC provincial court then, civil. You may end up in appeals court, and then you may up in may end up in the Supreme Court, Superior Court, Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you guys understand? You may end up all the way there with this. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the that's certainly any time you file something like this, that's that's possible. Um, so, yeah, I, I understand the extremely lengthy timeline and also the costs uh, associated if that's, if that's what you're driving at. So. Well, what I'm driving at is the precedence. So once you actually get to Supreme Court, or Superior Court, Supreme Court, I always get the two mixed up, Supreme Court, then it's precedence across the country. If you win in, in mm-hmm. BC, it's binding on BC. It's, it's not necessarily, it's persuasive across the country. And if it goes to the appeals court, then you have some more binding in there. So I'm just curious if you're going to be able to go all three steps. So well, no, I mean, we're, we're able to represent, uh, we're able to represent across the country because I mean, the, the interim order, which is what this is really at the crux of this is, is a federal matter, right? Transport is a federal Mm -hmm. uh, issue. So the interim order is also, um, a federal uh, a federal matter. So, and we've we've got uh, people signing up from from coast to coast uh, because okay. it was uh, because it was something that affected everything across the country, right? Right. I mean, you've got some now, things that uh, if you look at provincial health, for instance, I mean, those are matters that are that are governed and handled provincially, whereas transportation is a federal federally jurisdicted matter. Perfect. Perfect. I was just making sure that you had Canada covered and it wasn't going to be something that's only mm-hmm. good in BC. Uh, so Peckford yeah. tried to bring something forward for our flying, but he's using the charter and it got uh, thrown out for mootness. Have you paying close attention to that? Are you working with his team at all yeah. to kind of see, learn from some mistakes or, or what do you know about well, Peckford's? Yeah, I mean, I was certainly tracking it. Our lawyer was uh, tracking it. I mean, we're we're familiar with with the very frustrating um, approach that was taken there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know what more to say about the mootness part of it. Uh, that was insane. I'm shocked. Was, right, and, and and it just came uh, through appeals and was turned down uh, again, which which doesn't really surprise me given where we're at with with the judiciary. With the, just, so yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's a different. It's a different. Um, this is a different angle, um, and I guess that's that's as much as I can really uh, say about it at this stage. But yeah, I mean, we, we do kind of get back to the to the the bigger issue of of uh, of what I was driving at before, and I guess this is a caution that I raise with people regularly, and and I don't do it um, 
lightly and I don't do it dismissively because I, I think there's I think there's a place for political solutions. Obviously, you do as well. I think mm -hmm. there's a place for uh, for judicial solutions. I, I just mm -hmm. I came across a quote early on and, and it'll be familiar to you, I'm sure, and familiar to a lot of uh, of the people on this call. And I came across it early on in 2020 and I was like, bingo, man, that that really says it, uh, you know, and I revisited it again this week and it speaks to what I was saying is politics is downstream of culture, the judicial in this country seems to be uncomfortably swayed at times by the political realm. And so you're back at culture. And then this was Judge Learned Hand, who was a fairly well-known um, Superior Court Justice back in the, the 1930s and 40s. So he said this back in 1944 in, in a speech uh, in New York uh, Central Park. And he said, I often wonder, and keep in mind, this is a judge who said this, I often wonder whether we do not rest our hopes too much upon constitutions, upon laws, and upon courts. These are false hopes. Believe me, these are false hopes. And this is the part that, uh, that is probably most well known. Liberty lies in the hearts of men and women. When it dies there, no constitution, no law, no court can save it. No constitution, no law, no court can even do much to help it. And so this is once again my plea uh, to everybody that will listen to me is we can't be trying to outsource the solution to our national trend through through great white hopes be they judges lawyers politicians freedom leaders uh even the truckers or otherwise i mean that was a very very beautiful grassroots uh movement but the reason it was so powerful was because of the individuals that were there and who were then inspired to hopefully go back into their own communities and advocate for the things that, that they were advocating for so that's my caution uh, when we start talking about uh, about legal matters is yeah there's a there's a there's a time and a place for it clearly i believe that because my name is, is sitting on the statement of claim but mm -hmm. i've got no illusions about this being um a one-stop shop uh, where we can solve the problem and and, and move on uh, we've really got to we've got to individually work for uh, for culture change yeah, and I think you're right. And this is my path as well. This is why I'm running for office as well, uh, because I do believe there's room for improvement and reform. And I don't believe the system's destroyed. I, I absolutely think we can repair this. It's kind of like a, a plane. While you're flying, you may lose an engine. Keep going. Don't go run into the corner and get scared. Mm -hmm. uh, you deal with the problems. You, you find the solutions. Yeah. And you also get creative right. at times in order to make it happen. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah for sure. Right. Yeah, so I have the same mentality as well. I don't think our plane, Canada, is uh, headed to the ground. I think we have an engine out. We have some people in the back that are rowdy, and we got to kind of figure out how to land this thing without hurting anybody and destroying ourselves. Um, well, it's a I complicated mess. Some, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, and I love these. I love these metaphors, right? I, I, I think <laughs> we've got. We've got a couple of flight attendants with axes that are trying to beat down the flight deck door at this point too, right? I mean, there's, yep. a, there's a famous quote about, uh, uh, I won't remember it, so I'm, I'm going to butcher it. But it, the gist of it is, is um, it's very difficult to surmount an attack from within. I don't know if it was Cicero or who it was. And it, this, is, this is why people get, get borderline hopeless at times, is they see the leaders of this country doing stuff that just... I mean, it makes you want to scream on one level, but mm -hmm. it's also just, mm -hmm. it's just, it's just unbelievable, the, the unmitigated gall 
uh, at times, right? And and when the people that are that are at least part of the great ship Canada seem to be trying to sink it, um, you start to think, wow, how do we really uh, how do we really write this? And and my answer is, you need to find a tipping point of society that's willing to stand up and say no more. Um, right. I, just to tell a little a little story here, because it's it's a hopeful story. So when when I got back to work, it was September of twenty two. Um, okay. And at the time, there was still this silly mask mandate in the airports. Now, if you went on the Transport Canada website, you would actually find that the only time you needed to wear your mask in the airport was when you went through security and when you got on and off the airplane, which makes as much sense as wearing a mask, period. But that was the actual Transport Canada rule. But the airports themselves, the airport authority, had decided that, well, we're going to tell you all to wear your masks all the time. We're going to have Big Brother announcing it from the big speaker, like, everyone mm -hmm. must wear their mask. So at the time I was flying, I flew occasionally back and forth between um, Montreal and Toronto. Fascinating, fascinating though. In Toronto, 96% of people uh, were wearing their mask in the airport. Um, they were just doing what they were told. Um, I wasn't, which was not super popular with some people, but I had the odd airport agent would come up and say thank you because like some of these other agents are screaming at people and the actual rule is you don't have to now this is the important part you go to montreal almost nobody's wearing a mask and montreal was actually fascinating during the whole debacle because they were getting some serious crowds downtown and it was great to see and whatever happened in montreal they got to that proverbial tipping point in the airport and you would see this and, and, so, and those of you who weren't wearing masks in grocery stores and otherwise, the odd time you'd see the same thing. Somebody would be like, oh, I see somebody doing it. There's the, that first person. You always need a first person. And we need a, we need a lot of people on this call to be the first people uh, when it comes to standing courageously against some of these the, this nonsense that we're seeing. So in Montreal, at some point, enough people had been like, I'm done with this. And they just took them off. And then and then you get 5%, 10%. And when you get around that whatever, I don't know what the percentage is, let's say it's 15%, enough people look around and think, I'm not the only one. It was the same thing with the rallies, right? Nobody wanted to be standing on a street corner with eight people. But you get mm -hmm. 300, 400, 500, the more people that were there, it starts to build. And that's how you bring about change. It's not getting 51% of the people to do what's right. It's getting 15%. But before you get to fifteen percent, I'm just using that number arbitrarily. You need to you need that that one person, that one or two people that are willing to say, "Damn the torpedoes! I'm going for it because this is what I believe, and I don't care if nobody's standing with me. I'm going to stand up by myself." And that's how you affect change. I know it sounds cliched and idealistic, like I'm some eighteen year old. Uh, fool but uh, the oh. lessons of history uh speak this over and over again uh right so i, I just tell that story about the mask and, and, and it's not all about masks but it was fascinating for me just as a as a social sociological experiment to be like something happened in montreal you got to that point where enough people are like i'm just not and, and there, there were still people wearing them obviously but the majority were like yeah i'm done with this yeah, and I had that experience when I moved from Eastern Ontario to Alberta. So I moved in 2021. So in the height of all of that. Sorry, Ontario, you moved from where? Eastern Ontario to okay. Alberta. Okay. Yeah, so we kind of escaped Ontario to go to Alberta. Right. And we absolutely saw the difference. It was like night and day. Ontario was definitely mm -hmm. stuck into wearing the masks and all that kind of stuff. And the vaccine was being pushed really hard. Then you come to Alberta and people are in parks. They're not wearing masks. 
they're enjoying themselves. Mm. It was like 2019 here. It didn't seem mm. like uh, the same country until right. Kenny the, the, put some of the stuff in place. He kind of folded his his uh, the pressure that he was putting on, and all of a sudden we turned to Ontario. Uh, it was very mm. the same, very similar to that. And then yeah, also we had court yeah, yeah. decisions that didn't go very well. Let me uh, let me tell you about a recent court decision we just had, the Ingram decision, which just came out yeah, yeah, like, I saw yesterday. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a mis misunderstanding of that one. So a lot of people are calling that a win because Henshaw was found to have acted illegally. Um, I just want to let you know. Well, and maybe ironically, it's putting it's it's putting ironically it, it puts all sorts of things into public health hands that, in my opinion, shouldn't be there. It's it's very bizarre. Correct. Correct. So it's this upside decision, down. Correct. This decision told us that the charter is useless. The charter would have not helped us on this one. And the only thing that Henshaw did wrong was um, delegate the decision-making to uh, the cabinet. Had she not done that, and she kept it to herself, which is where the law says it was supposed to be. Rather uh, than the elected was, officials. Correct. Correct. Uh, this entire thing wouldn't have uh, come out. The Ingram decision would have upheld the mandates completely. Now, if you read it, yeah. it still did. It upheld the, the mandates, and it said the charter was yeah. not, not useful. It's so, section one did. Correct. And this is the biggest mistake in Canada that we have a section one at all. Um, and maybe constitutional re uh, reform is what's needed here. But anyways, I want to just put it out there that this is not a win just because it was decided that her decision delegation was a problem. It didn't mean that the decisions made itself uh, were um, withdrawn or, or uh, thrown out by right. the court. They weren't. They were actually validated in that decision. Had she yeah. just simply said, I made the choice, there would have been no win there. So I just want well, everybody to know, this has become a blueprint now. So now all the provinces and, and all the chief medical officers understand how to go ahead and put a mandate in place that will uh, not be protected by the charter. So well, and not to get too hairy, fairy philosophical here, but 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 this is the this is the biggest issue maybe I have with the charter is and this is where it differs in the states you've got inalienable rights god-given freedoms and god-given rights and the problem with what we've got in this country and this is why i'm so reticent to 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 push the charter is it presupposes that the government gives and takes your freedoms and this is Correct. i cannot understate this uh, overstate it enough this is extremely problematic because there are freedoms that are god-given freedoms we have god-given responsibilities Hence, we have the God-given freedoms to walk those out. Uh, and the state does not get to give and take those. Uh, perhaps a bold Correct. statement that will be unpopular with the upper echelon of this country, but clearly I don't care <clears throat> because those freedoms were given to me by God to, to, to look after my family, to worship my God, etc., etc. And the state does not give and take those away. And the problem with our charter, in my view, is it presupposes that the government gets to do that. Correct. And Especially with Section 1. That, 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 yeah, right. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, the pause button. I was talking to some Americans, and they're like, don't you have the freedom of speech up there? I'm like, yeah, but we have a pause button. So the government can say, at any point, we don't think we need to uh, follow that rule that we give ourselves. And you're 100% right. Uh, we, we don't get freedom from our government. We're supposed to get function from our government, which means they work for us. Uh, but they don't provide us the rights. And this is one of the hardest conversations I have with a lot of people is, for example, I'm just going to throw this one out there. I'm not an accredited media. Accredited media means government approved. I have no interest mm -hmm. of becoming government approved or regulated because of Bill C-18, Bill C-11, and other things that would uh, 
would qualify me as a government approved media then also restricts me so then i'm you fighting all that against... cash <laughs> i don't need strings it attached. trailer <laughs> yeah. yeah no we don't need any strings around here the only strings i have is my string where we're doing the navigation with the uh, mile markers on it uh, right, the only right. strings around here but uh the whole point though is you can either be government regulated and go ahead and say government gave me the right to be media mm-hmm. or you just be media <laughs> just simply put you just be media and, and you do your best job at, at being honest and get the information out um that's my philosophy as an independent and that's what i absolutely believe we all should be doing i don't mind that there's certain things like airline regulation like air regulation i do think we should have some rules and it's a privilege and i understand that but to to wire yourself in such a way that you need permission from the government is backwards. <laughs> the government needs our permission mm-hmm. to function. And if we pay a close attention to Section 9192, that's exactly what we say in there. But we're not following that. We haven't been following that for, like, ever. Um, all right. So you and I are in the same wavelength. The, 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 the tail's wagging the dog here in a lot of people's minds. How do we educate them? So free to fly, you have an education portion, you're trying to educate people about their rights, the actual God-given rights, or you're really focusing on taking the battle to the government to win back these uh, stolen rights that we have. Well, I mean, that's certainly part of it as far as this class action. That's, uh, you know, it's narrowly focused. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. And there's been some frustration with that because people say, well, I ended up having to take the jab and, and it appears this is only relevant to those who refused it, which is true. Uh, that's kind of point one in our FAQ. And so I'm not hiding from that. Uh, but but we're, we're trying to represent as broad a section of our membership as possible, but also do so as effectively as possible. And it's really difficult in this country right now to come up with a legal strategy that, that is going to be effect, effective given everything that we just finished uh, just finished talking about. So that's certainly part of what we're doing, but it's not the be all and end all. This class action isn't free to fly. It's a part of what we're doing. Um, mm-hmm. We're a, we're on you know the social media platforms and all these other things. We're we're really badly shadow banned, particularly on Twitter. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't need to get a, go on and on about it. I just I know the metrics enough that it, it just doesn't make sense with sixteen thousand followers that uh, that we're at where we're at. But you know I'll, I'll put things out there uh, occasionally that I feel are relevant. I try not to be another news aggregator because we don't need. You don't need me posting in every Epic Times uh, article because that's not particularly effective. I, I try to speak to things that that I think. Um, matter actually that quote that i just gave from from uh from the judge was something that i put out because it part of what we're trying to to push is that individual accountability it may not be your fault that the nation is in the situation that it's in but it is our responsibility and our accountability to to fight for it in spite of who wrecked it so that's part of the message that we're trying to get out. We're trying to form a community. Um, I, I appreciate you mentioning the meet and greet in Calgary. Those, those were born out of the fact that, as I said earlier in this this program, part of, of, of fixing our nation <clears throat> is acting locally, acting relationally, and being personal, in person with other people. Uh, and I've been pretty vocal about that. And then I had a moment where I was like, hey, man, uh, maybe you should put your money where your mouth is. Uh, maybe, maybe provide an opportunity for people to do that because people would reach out and say ah i don't know people to get together with so we did one in calgary um or no sorry in in toronto back in may and uh i've been so blessed um by by trisha who is our admin uh call her our admin assistant but man she does way she's your angel Uh, she's your angel 
Yeah, like it's so hard to find find people that really stick with you because this whole freedom fighting thing, it's actually, it's pretty mundane behind the scenes a lot of the time, right? And Patrick, mm -hmm. our young 22-year-old IT guy, like they, they just work and work and work um, behind the scenes. And, and so she put this thing together and it was unbelievable. And we had a fantastic night. And, and the big thing, I didn't want it to be, because we've all been to a lot of these functions. And, and hey, it's great to go and listen to people speak. But it's mm -hmm. not a speech fest. You don't show up and listen to five or six speeches. There's a short little update on where we're at. I'll give a little hello. But other than that, what we want is for people to make connections, uh, to get to 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 whatever, swap a business card, swap an email address, be like, hey, I did. I'm also from whatever Springbrook or whatever some of the you know the outliers of Calgary are at. And now you've made a connection. And and in in those meet and greets, if just one of those happens i'm thrilled because that's what really matters we had a guy that flew all the way from manitoba in his private airplane to our meet and greet in toronto i can't remember his name off the top of my head right now but i was i was so humbled by by that 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 somebody mm -hmm. would go to that much effort because it speaks um it speaks to the to the visceral desire to be with people that see the world the same as you and to be encouraged by it uh, we need to bear each other's burdens, as the Bible says, and I think that's part right. of it. And and so that's what we're trying to do as well as provide opportunities, and and we do that electronically, through newsletters and other things we put out. But man, you really have got to find people in your local community because who knows how crazy things are going to get, you know, over the next uh, months and years. You need to have a, a a local support, and so we're we're big advocates uh, for that as well. And that's where these meet and greets. Uh, Play in. So, hey, if you're in Calgary or anywhere in Alberta and you feel like driving to Calgary, um, the 10th of August, uh, we'll be there and uh, we would absolutely love to meet as many people as possible. I'm going to do my very best to be there because I'm just going to be two hours away from Calgary that afternoon. So I might make arrangements to sleep in Calgary and come up and see you guys. I'll, I'll do my best. That would be do great. That. Yeah. Now I have cool. just a few more questions, if you don't mind. Um, yep. Where is your home base? Is it Calgary, Toronto? What is your home base? I'm based out of uh, Toronto, so I live uh, a couple hours to the uh, to the east of uh, Toronto. We actually, as part of the whole world going sideways, losing my job, um, I kind of did an unpilot thing there, that right? I, yeah, Belleville. Uh, Belleville. Oh, I was in the, I was on the in the military in Trenton, so we actually sold our house, downsized massively. Got a, all we have is an acre, but we wanted to be as self sufficient as possible, so we've got uh, eggs. From our chickens, we've got meat birds, yep. we've got a garden, uh, we've got a very old house with a leaky basement. Uh, so it's not. My wife is so so long suffering because we had a we had a pretty nice house, nothing fancy, but there was room for all the kids when they came home, and now everybody doubles up when they come back. But hey, it's uh, it, it's been a great great season. Like my faith has never been stronger. I could say that for uh, for my kids, I think as well. Like it's it's been such a learning um, experience. But anyway, that's where we're uh, that's where we're located. Craig, we did the same thing. We sold everything in Ontario. We now have a homestead we're working on, a little plot of land. Cool. We got the we don't have the meat chickens, but we do have the chickens uh, for the eggs. Unfortunately, we lost some to our dog, so we'll have to deal with that. No. But yeah, I want to be self-sufficient as well. And that might be our nature, because when we're pilots, you have to control it. You pilot in command. It's called command. Um, so that's probably in our nature that we want to be able to be self-sufficient. Um, I was talking to Chris, or Dr. Chris, uh, shoemaker on tuesday yeah and he gave me some numbers he's a data guy he crunches the numbers and he said um athletes and pilots are dying at 1500 percent higher than normal so 15 times the normal sudden death rate 
myocarditis and other things. Are you aware of that? And have you lost anybody uh, close to you? Well, th this is a rabbit hole I could go on for a while. I'm just looking at time here. I, you got to be careful with the pilot numbers. I, I, I think I know where he's getting that number from. It was from uh, an Alpa magazine that got published about a year and a half ago, and it's their flown west list. And it, it was it was misconstrued. Um, we actually, I don't think, I don't have it on our, our website, but it's linked somewhere else. Because what happened is they would put, they would put the numbers out um, of the people that had passed away in a given year. And then the mm -hmm. following year, they would have like a catch up of the people that they missed from the year before. So people would look at this short list and then they saw all of a sudden they saw the long list from 2020 because they had these catch up. Like if you took the one, I'm trying to explain this as simply as possible. Let's say you took the 2021 version. Well, there was a list of like four pilots from 2019, eight pilots from 2020. And then all of a sudden there was like 300 pilots from 2021. Well, that's because the previous years were the catch-up years. They, their names didn't make the publication in 2019 to 2020. So I've, I've seen this 1500% number thrown around and, and it came from that magazine article. So this, this, this starts to brush against the issue of pilot uh, vaccine harm and, and, and clearly mm -hmm. I'm not minimizing this because I was willing to lose my career over it. I'm not opposed to it. Right. But we want the truth. We hours, want accuracy. Right. So I have spent hours on the phone with jab-injured Canadian airline pilots. It's something I am concerned about. Um, it's actually very difficult to get the numbers from year to year, in part because StatsCan screws around with the data intentionally, I think. It's very frustrating if you're a data guy, and I'm a bit of a data guy. So you go on there to try and find, and you get it in order to be credible and have some integrity with the data you need to compare the data sets comparably right so you'll have a data set from 2021 2020 and then you're like all right well three years is a good cross-section so you go to find the 2022 data and they say oh actually we've decided to decided to like bifurcate it into all sorts of different age categories now and and so you're like well now now you're, you don't have a proper data set we are seeing pilot incapacitations for sure, but people have to remember pilot incapacitation. Something's happened to your auto. Uh, something's happening oh. to your audio. How about, how about now? Uh, you might be losing battery or something, uh, but it just started to get mm -hmm. bad. It wasn't there a moment ago. Yeah, yeah. Checking my, uh, checking my battery level here. Battery it's still connected. Battery. It just... Can you hear me fine? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Oh, I'm sorry, but yeah, it's getting worse and worse. Uh, I think he has some turbulence. He might be going through a storm. <laughs> let me let me let me try taking my earbuds out. That usually doesn't go well. Though, hang on. Sure. Let's see what we can do here. See what we can do here. Okay. How about now? You're probably getting feedback now. Yeah, you're better. Yeah, you're better. Yeah. I have an echo. I have an echo. Yeah, yeah. This is the problem. Hmm. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to stop talking for a few minutes. You can finish, you up, can and finish up and wrap up. Okay. Yeah, I had this happen okay. on one other. It seems to be a StreamYard issue, and I, I'm not sure why. But anyway, just to finish up this piece, and then I'll try the earbuds again because they, they work fine up until now. But um, pilot incapacitation has been, been an issue since the Wright brothers. Um, the data does seem higher going into 2022. When I've analyzed it in 2020 and 2021, it actually didn't seem elevated. I haven't done, I haven't analyzed the data since about March, but there's, I mean, there's definitely issues, and I'm definitely talking with guys that that have issues. 
what we need to remember, because there's been some really irresponsible things said at times about airplanes falling out of the sky and otherwise, and people need to understand that when there's a when you have two pilots in an airplane, single pilot, this isn't the case, and so this, this that that is a genuine concern. But when you're traveling on an airline from point A to point B, it's definitely a high risk event because now as the sole pilot, I need to take control you know, secure that guy, move his seat back, and then I have to do everything. I have to talk to ATC. I have to find somewhere to land the airplane as soon as possible. I have to talk to the passengers, to the flight attendants. Uh, I have to gather the weather for the diversion field. So it, it increases the risk massively, but it's something we've trained for for decades. So it increases the risk, but your airplane isn't going to fall out of the sky and crash into an apartment building, as was said very irresponsibly by somebody in the States um, about six months ago, and I, I came after that hard because I'm like, what, what are you trying to do here? Are you trying to get everybody to stop flying? Because <laughs> that's kind of what the WAF and others are working towards. So let's not be irresponsible in talking about pilot incapacitations. It is, it is a high-risk event and certainly phase of flight more so if it happens on takeoff and landing, absolutely. Um, but in crews, it's something that we're trained for that we can manage. It's not something that, that we uh, that we look for, but that that's maybe a little bit of a deeper pilot dive into pilot incapacitations, just for those mm -hmm. of your viewership that are concerned. Because we've had people email and say, "I don't want to fly anymore," and I'm like, I, "I don't think that's the solution. Let's not live in fear. Let's live our lives large. Go see Grandma in Saskatoon or whatever you want to do. Don't hunker down in your 15-minute city because there's other people that are pretty pretty keen on uh, getting us to do that, right? So, I'll try these again." Yeah, I could try it again, but I just did it. I muted you while I talked so the echo doesn't come through, and that's working right now. But you're 100% right. The fear is not helping, and anybody that comes out and says, like, planes are going to fall out of the sky, they may be trying to just propagate that fear as well. We haven't had a single issue where a plane has not made it because of two incapacitated uh, pilots, and you're 100% right. Uh, you, you train for a single engine out, you, say, and you also train for a pilot out. Uh, these are all the things that you're you're prepared for. Yeah. So how is it now, audio-wise? Oh, you're good. Yeah, you're back. Yeah. We're back in All business. Right. We're out of that turbulence now. <laughs> All right. Okay, very good. Now, the last question I had, because I know you have a busy afternoon as well, or you have a, another appointment at 7. Uh, are you looking for fundraising? How are you guys fund, um, funding this? Are you asking for donations? Are you asking people to reach out and contribute? Yeah. No, thanks for asking, Jason. It's uh, Trisha gets after me because I'm a very, very poor salesman. So I don't usually say anything about finances. Um, and she usually reminds me before and asks me if I did it after. So if she's watching, here you go, Trisha. Um, yeah, as far as the legal campaign, I mean, these things are phenomenally expensive going forward. So mm -hmm. you can donate. There's a donate button on our website. It, it costs money to keep the lights on every month. Just, just basic stuff as far as... Uh, our platforms, uh, from a from a media standpoint, our IT, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it's uh, you know it, it's hundreds of dollars a month. It's not more simply because all of the people that are uh, working, which is a very small crowd, can count them on one hand, are doing it uh, out of the goodness of their heart because they believe mm -hmm. in it. So it's it's simply the uh, the keeping the lights on part. But there are uh, certainly expenses uh, going forward. So if anybody feels so called to, to help us out we'd certainly uh, appreciate uh, them hitting the donate button and sending uh, a little bit our way yeah yeah absolutely because you're fighting for our freedoms here for sure now you have one in calgary you did one in toronto are you going to do other meet and greets in the future um well 
it like I honestly don't do much for them. I I show up and uh, eat some uh, some nice snacks and chat to, with some awesome people. And uh, Trisha works her butt off for a couple. There weeks, she is. So She's in the chat right there. She's oh, saying, there good she job is. for you. <laughs> <laughs> She's yeah, right there. So She's everywhere. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Well, the one in Toronto, I mean, I, she, she wouldn't even let my wife and I help decorate. And, and so we showed up right before it started. And, and uh, I was, it takes a lot to get me excited, but I was seriously blown away. I mean, she had little party favors that were little suitcases for people. She had a big map on a wall. She had, uh, she had the Canada flights up and all sorts of other stuff for people that are aviation geeks. Like it was just on a shoestring budget. Uh, like it's not a moneymaker just to be clear. Mm -hmm. I, I hate, I, I hate charging people for tickets, but you have to pay for the venue. You got to pay for some food. So we're not making money out of it. Everything else is just, uh, she's, uh, as, as my daughter said, who did help her decorate, she brought along a separate suitcase, flew herself all the way out from, uh, from BC to do this, uh, out of the goodness of her heart and on her own dime. But she had a second suitcase. It was like a tickle trunk and stuff just kept pouring out of it uh, decoration wise. So to answer your question, um, yeah, we'll see how energetic she feels. But I know there's people in uh, Vancouver that have uh, been looking for us to get out uh, west as well as uh, mm -hmm. out east. So, it, it, you know, it's, there's an expense associated with it. And I don't like asking people for uh, for more than I think, 25 bucks for a ticket to, to be there. So. Well, Trisha and I don't mind. We will ask people to get money. We'll get those tickets sold. And we'll get people there, especially if you do the BC one because of your lawsuit there. It might be you know, scheduled around that time. Maybe get some people who are going to be uh, part of the, uh, um, oh, gee, there's a lost word. Um, class action. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's well, lost that word for a second. Yeah. The biggest thing is just like it, it was an absolute thrill for me to see people connecting uh like people came up after and they were like man we wanted to talk to so many people but i hit it off with the because it was we just had it set up so you kind of mingled but there was tables you could sit at but it wasn't like a dinner it was just finger food type thing right mm -hmm. but we said well i sat down with this couple and we just hit it off and we talked for like two hours and i really didn't get to talk to as many people and i'm like man that just warms my heart and it's like yeah we we're gonna get together next week or whatever and that's really the point behind it is not to not to preach at people about what free to fly is we just want to provide a venue like if you build it they will come and we want people right. to come and to meet people from their local communities and make connections so that going forward we could start to build these little bases that that actually transpose themselves into something meaningful going forward. To use another airline analogy, you're building a hub where people can come and right. connect. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Now, there's only two questions left in the uh, chat. You've answered a whole bunch of them already, so there's only two left. So, Gail's asking, can you please explain on what that data was on your spreadsheet. So very early in this conversation, you said it only took you like 30 minutes mm -hmm. to crunch the numbers and come up with, uh oh, right. this is not working. Uh, she's asking where you, where, what data you were using for that. Well, it was a, it was a monster spreadsheet that uh, a dear friend of mine that works behind the scenes with Liberty Coalition Canada, for those of you that know it, uh, anyway, he, he and I are both data geeks. So I sent it to him and he was like, oh, I absolutely love it. But as my wife says to me, this would only mean something to someone like you. So there was a ton of information on there, but a lot of it was, I was breaking down demographically things like IFR and CFR, right? So the, so the uh, infection fatality um, and the uh, case fatality. So when we were looking at these kids in the school, you, you could work the numbers backwards and I, and I would push back with the school and I would say, okay, if we want to lock these kids down and keep them home, then I'll tell you what you better be doing is you better be keeping them 
like in the house in rubber boots all summer long because they're three times more likely to be struck by lightning than they are to die of COVID. So out of data, if you're not a data geek, you can actually come up with with little speaking points that that might mean something to somebody who hasn't looked at the data. And, it, and I find it is helpful in the conversations that I have with people to be able to say to them, I'm only talking government data. So you you can you can generalize me and call me a conspiracy theory that's in some corner of the dark web. But but I, I, I'm strictly taking Health Canada numbers and putting them in a spreadsheet. And that's where the numbers we're driving from. So I, I honestly, I haven't actually looked at that spreadsheet in, in probably a year and a half plus. So I can't remember everything that was on it, but it was it was bro broken uh, down by by age particularly, so that I could speak to things like case or, or age based uh, IFR. So when I even when I came with my own company and said, "Hey, I'm whatever I was at the time, fifty some years old. Here's what my risk is actually. When you tell me that my risk is is higher from." from COVID than it is from the job, I was able to say, well, actually, here's the number. And I, uh, can you give me a number with what my risk is with this, this job that you've devised in a matter of months? And of course, I didn't get an answer. It's insane in my mind, how the information has been out there all along, and just so many people blind to it, and just taking basically global information and pushing it down to the national level. We see this in other areas too, just so you know, Greg, not not just air regulations and, and the vaccine. We see this in agriculture, water. Uh, the WEF have a lot of fingers out there, that's for sure. Uh, Byron is asking here, are there any air services that have uninjected pilots? So are we doing like parallel economy, parallel airlines at all, or no? No. Um, that That's a pretty common question that we get because some people misconstrue us and they think we're actually... They think we're some people thought we're that right that we're we're an unjabbed mm -hmm. airline. So there's there's I guess the easiest way to answer that question is the number was so very small of uh, pilots, flight attendants, and otherwise that were not willing to take the jab that it would be physically because people will say the airline should provide. I would like to get from the airline information about when my flight to Edmonton is flying with unjabbed pilots, and I I, I laugh not because I'm minimizing their question, but because. I, it, it's physically impossible. There are so, so few that refused it that it would be absolutely impossible to schedule the airline. Now, it, I, like on my airplane, there's a wonderful uh, guy. It's actually the same guy that was working in the chicken factory. So he's <laughs> a he's a he's a first officer on my airplane. So he 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 I've flown with him occasionally, which is is wonderful. And so we were. I, I'm a bit of a tangent, but it's sort of funny. I, we were super, super delayed going somewhere one night, and just between he and I, I was joking, and I said, I'll, I'll make an announcement saying, I'm terribly sorry, you know, the, the announcement everybody hates in the back. I'm terribly sorry for this this delay, ladies and gentlemen, but the good news is your pilots are both unvaccinated, right? I did, not, <laughs> I did not make that PA, but but all of that to say it's extremely, extremely rare, um, mm -hmm. and there, there are a few bureaucracies in our bureaucratically laden uh, country that are more bureaucratic and uh, stuck with red tape than the aviation world. Um, so right. even trying to start something separate uh, would be extremely challenging, particularly in an environment where they had the interim order that they did, where it was like, thou shalt all be jabbed or, or you don't get to move anywhere. Um, so yeah, the, the, there, there is not that type of a service in Canada is the short answer. And the reason why is there's, there's so very few and the complexity of starting a separate airline, uh, is, is difficult and, and typically fraught with, uh, 
a lot of red tape and uh, red numbers on the financial ledger. Yeah, and when they were doing all that, I was wondering why they couldn't offer vax-free flights or vaccinated flights. Like, actually, say, this one is, you know, fly me at midnight, I don't care if that gives me the option. But I was wondering why they never never did that, but it's the narrative. They, they, they can't bend to that narrative, so it's pretty clear. Yeah, that's that's the answer. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah I saw that as I was even trying, because I thought even charter and private charter would be taken off a lot more, but no, everybody was... Uh, getting vaxxed and doing it anyways. Uh, Cheryl snuck one in here because earlier you kind of alluded to this question, but we didn't actually get to the answer. Um, can you please ask Greg uh, if you've seen any change in the airline industry governed federally and explain the nature of the change? So you kind of said that we're less safe now. Um, so I'm wondering uh, what you were alluding to there and, and is it related to any changes that we've done federally? Um, well, that's a it's another look at the calendar if I haven't It's haven't a large last time. question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it is, and it's an important one, and it's near and dear to my heart. And the reason it's near and dear to my heart is because it strikes at the same willingness to turn a blind eye to decades and decades of safety. So I'll, I'll tell the story as quickly as I can. Most um, of overshoot into the pattern. Let's take another shot at this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, if you go back... So if we step back to 2020 when the whole job thing kicked off... Well, let's step back even further. For decades and decades and decades, airline pilots needed to have a medical at least once a year in person with their doctor. If you were mm -hmm. over a certain age, you have it every six months along with an EKG. So in 2020, uh, big bad supposed COVID showed up and then it was like, well, how are we going to handle this? And hey, I'll give them some grace. We're all figuring it out. It's like, okay, if you're if you were due in August, we're going to kick it. We'll give you a six month extension or whatever. Um, and then from, from that point, um, I'm just pulling up the timeline here because I, this question comes up a fair bit and I've got the dates here. Not that we need to get too far into it, but so it was, they, they gave an extension. Then in June of 2020, it, it became an attestation. So you could literally just get your wife just to sign I, a piece of paper saying, I subjectively uh, feel fine. Then in March of 21, so now it's, it's getting crazier and crazier as we go on because we've realized that, well, uh, it's actually not as bad and we're starting to fly airplanes again. So then we went to telemedicals. So you either a phone call or a Zoom calls. This is starting in March of 21. You could just phone it in and you could subjectively say, I feel fine. And it was like, all right, you're good for another year. Yep. So that got crazier and crazier because as we went into the end of, of uh, 22, getting closer to the date we're at now, I could, as an airline pilot in Canada, get on a crowded subway car in Toronto I could jam in there, go downtown to a restaurant, jam in there and have an hour-long dinner, and then I could go to whatever we call the hockey arena now, whichever sponsor, Scotiabank or something, um, with 20,000 other people, and that was 100% fine. But according to Transport Canada, the safety regulator in this country, it was too dire of a situation, because, and it literally said in that, extent, in the, in that um, exemption, because it's an exemption to air regulations, it was because of social distancing and concerns over COVID. So I couldn't sit in a pristine airline office with my doctor and, and get my health assessed objectively rather than subjectively. So it gets worse. So I was raising this uh, with Free to Fly, raised it with um, politicians. And I'll tell you, man, if anything sniffs of the jab, they don't want to touch, they don't want to touch it. And I'm talking the conservative uh, mm -hmm. side as well. 
And so we raised this and it was like, well, it, it, it's supposed to expire in March of 23. And I said, man, this, this, this is the water I swim in. I'll tell you what's going to happen. They're going to extend it. Sure enough, March of 23. But what they did now, because they realized that even for the you know the people that are in the office right now who don't seem to care about ethics and facts or otherwise it might be even a stretch too far for them to to blame covid in 23 so now the reason is you know what the reason is now and, and keep in mind this is a country where safety is you know it's, it's it's our biggest priority and aviation in particular is obsessed with safety and there's a couple things that are critical for a pilot to be safe. It's his physical health and it's his professional mm -hmm. ability to do his job. The first one is done with an in-person medical. The second one is done with simula simulator evaluations, usually every four months. So March of 23, no, they said, and this is strictly for convenience. So we are in a situation right now where airline pilots in Canada can go up to 36 months with no in-person in medical and no EKG, regardless for of their convenience. age. For convenience, and this like it, it like your head wants to explode uh, as a professional pilot because for decades and decades this was simply not permitted, and they and they it's in black and white. It's being done for convenience. Now, shortly after that, like it just this gets better and better. March fourteenth, so March first they extended it. March fourteenth, uh, the Transportation Safety Board, an independent arm, published um, a report on an airline pilot in Canada who died flying privately and tragically he had attested his medical the, his the crash was back in i can't remember if it was 21 or when it was exactly and government agencies aren't prone to poking fingers at each other but it was they were about as blunt as they could be and basically said transport canada needs to reevaluate this because if you go back and you look at the guidance to transport doctors so those are the ones who typically do our medical in black and white, in their handbook, it says it's your responsibility to interview and perform a complete examination on all applicants for aviation medical certification. And Transport Canada has waived that. They have provided an exemption all the way until I think it's 2025. So that's where we're at right now um, in this country. And, and so, you know, I, I raise these issues <clears throat> with the airlines, raise them with the unions. And it's a it's the same situation, and the reason I'm pushing on this because even even amongst my own circle, people are like, ah, is this really our fight? And I'm like, are you serious? Like th this, if the issue of pilot incapacitation is actually something we're concerned about, the only way to actually mitigate it is to do proper medical screening. Like I'd argue, not even mm -hmm. an EKG, but a D-dimer test and all sorts of other things. And there was a big kerfuffle in the states because they they expanded the parameters for their EKGs, and I'm sitting here thinking. It's worse in Canada. We're not even doing EKGs. We're just skipping them for 36 months. And so yeah. I, I raise this issue with, the, with, with my airline, with my union, and I say, well, hang on a second. I feel like I'm a pretty great pilot. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that if I was to lose an engine on takeoff, I would absolutely rock that, uh, that engine out scenario. So I subjectively feel like I'm a great pilot, so I'm going to skip my simulators for the next year. I can't do that. But that subjective analysis, I can sit at home if I want to, which I refuse to do, <clears throat> and just phone it in and say, I feel fine. And I know firsthand several pilots who say, I'm so glad I did my medical. Because guess what? In our 50s, when it's a couple hour drive to the airport, I don't really want to go to the doctor. I don't even go to the doctor at home. It's usually my wife that's like, you should really get that checked. And I don't. I know a number of guys who had prostate cancer discovered, who had heart issues discovered because they did an in-person medical. And 
if it, we're essentially turning a blind eye, the same as we have for the past three years, and Transport Canada is guilty of this right now. And there's no outcry uh, right now in this country, partly because people don't know it. I appreciate the platform yeah. to explain it. Every opportunity I, I do uh, have, I, uh, I speak to this. But uh, right now, uh, officially, the airline union, they've said, no. Nah. The, the answer was uh, uh, use science-based evidence to determine that this was uh, an acceptable risk. <laughs> we're right back where we started, right? So it's it's a vicious circle, um, and yeah, it's uh, I, I guess I'm a thorn in the side of of, uh, of those who don't want to hear me rant about it. Um, but I've explored most of the official avenues I can, and outside of a, an outcry from the public. And if people want something to do, hey, uh, call your member of parliament and, uh, and and tell them you think this is utterly unacceptable because it's never been acceptable in aviation for decades and decades. And right now, Transport Canada, the airlines, and the unions are turning a blind eye to it. Very long answer well, to the question, but the great answer to the question. And Dr. Shoemaker mentioned the same thing that they expanded the EKG um, uh, thres threshold. Yeah, from two point two to point three, so fifty percent increase. But that was in the U.S. Deaths. Here, here yeah, we're not we doing. Have... We're just not doing them. Well, maybe you can attest that you haven't broken any laws. Maybe you can attest to a whole bunch of things now, because uh, if you can attest to your health, then why not? Let's just uh, have a world of attestments. Yeah. My goodness. Okay, well, look, um, I'm not sure what we can do about that right now, but I do want to keep in contact with you, but maybe doing a platform, maybe get some information out there. Maybe let people know that your pilot is 50% less healthy than it used to be. Something, something out there so people can start pushing back because the MPs aren't listening, just so you know. They're not listening. Yeah. There's so many yeah. issues that we bring to them, and we're not getting anything out of them. But look, you, you have a, a time to make. You have a plan, and we want to keep this stuff on time. We don't want to be too delayed for you. Uh, so I do appreciate that. And at any time, I would take that right-hand seat and be your first mate, your first uh, officer. So. Hey. Well, I appreciate, uh, appreciate the platform. It's been an honor to be here. I, I, I think it's really honorable what you're doing in trying to hear from from the masses and, and broaden your own understanding of, of all sorts of issues. Uh, that's certainly the best way to approach uh, the political realm. Thank you very much. I do appreciate it. And I hope I can shake that hand soon. So you take care, Greg, and say hi to Trisha for hey. me. Thanks. And you got a great team. She's, she's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank yep. You. All right. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Greg.